Good morning. Welcome to Wake Up Carolina. Tuesday morning, June 7, 843-661-0937 is our number. Good morning, Royal Rev of Radio. Good morning. We have a special guest in our studio today. I see that. It's an original cast member of Saturday Night Live. You know that Wake Up Carolina, previously known as Good Morning PD, has catapulted many, many, many um, very talented people. Yeah. But but they needed a um, they needed a vessel. They needed the um, the the thrusting forward that this feeble attempt at radio brilliance has given so many. True. So many. Um, I don't know that on this. We always talk about the um, the greatest the greatest character ever. Excuse me. The greatest. Um, cast member ever at saturday night live i mean i've concluded john belushi i think you said i don't know if you disagreed with me maybe belushi yeah i mean belushi certainly you know and his story is tragic you know since he he died so young but he made a lot of impact at his little time but i always go back to i think of gilda radner um rosanna rosanna down sure you know, bill murray yeah in, in other words the 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 list is long and exemplary and, and very um very um uh, influential in the world of um of actors and skits and and comedy and whatnot well i mean gavin jackson is will probably be i mean he might be our john belushi right <laughs> i mean we, well, we, we, with a little well, better well, I mean, there's no way the guy ends up where he does without stopping by here first right right i mean he refined his craft he basically um I don't know if he ever embraced the opportunity. He accepted the opportunity to come on the show and be somewhat of a um, a contrarian. And well, we had some in our earlier days of the Friday political roundtable, mm-hmm. uh, Gavin was a local political newspaper reporter. He's one of them guys. Yep, and he one of them guys. And, uh, gave us political analysis. And then you're right. We we helped springboard him to greatness. Now, I don't think we helped. I think we take sole responsibility. Okay. I, mean, right. I don't think he had... I think he had very little to do with that. But now he's uh, got big fancy cameras with him. Dress, mm-hmm. Dresses nice. You know, you, you know what he's looking for? <laughs> he's looking for a um, what? One of these crazy radio show hosts who will say something so outlandish that it um it, it makes kind of a splash in this um in the Twitter well, and, sphere and, and or that Facebook was, world. That was going to be my question for you because he is here and it's nice to see Gavin. Well, he hangs around long years. enough. I'll say something outlandish. Right? I'm sure of that. And and so why is Gavin here this morning with the TV? G- Gavin is actually. And, I don't put words in his mouth, but Gavin uh, reached out to me yesterday and said, "Hey, man, I'm trying to really cover extensively this seventh congressional Republican primary. I feel as if." Um, you don't know anything else, but you probably know a little bit about the sentiment of the voter, the mood of the voter, um, where this race stands. So he's stopping by this morning on his way to Myrtle Beach, uh, the Horry County. And we know this district is kind of complex. I mean, it has a rural element, has a um, kind of a uh, obviously a coastal element. Transient population in Horry County is something that um, a lot of us are trying to really understand. Uh, I tell you, when I ran for lieutenant governor in 2010, I was convinced uh, through some of my studying and research, that the future of Republican politics would eventually be um, heavily influenced by the what I call the Giuliani Republicans, uh, not quite as socially conservative, um, nowhere near as religious as the dominant force being Greenville to the upstate had been for many, many years. But I saw this coming, and um, and one of the uh, ironies of this, Rev, is uh, in my brief time as lieutenant governor, I was real good at winning races. I've just not demonstrated the ability to hold the job. I mean, I'm, I'm damn good at getting the job. I'm just not as good at holding and securing the job for the appropriated, or excuse me, the apportioned time. But but one of the things, the, the only consequential vote I ever took as lieutenant governor was the tie-breaking vote that created the 7th Congressional District. Most people don't know that. 
but there was a um, there was an intense lobbying. Is that effort. really the only time a lieutenant governor will vote in the event well, of I mean, a tie of the correct. senators? I, I walk into the chamber that day. Jeff Gossett, clerk of the Senate, came up to me and said, um, "I think it's going to be tied." I said, "I hope it is." Because uh, that would be the easiest homer vote I ever took. The the Beaufort crowd, we've had enormous growth along the Grand Strand. You know that. I know that. Um, not just the Grand Strand, but the South Carolina coast in general. We've had an explosion in Charleston and Beaufort and Bluffton and Oree. And, uh, I mean, it's it's been good for the state, but it's been um, transformative in Republican politics. Um, I'm not saying everybody on the coast is a Republican. Um, they're not traditional South Carolina Republicans in that they are not as heavily influenced by the Christian conservative movement or the religious orthodoxies, um, but it is—it's it, going to be a—it's um, going to be a, an interesting race and an interesting future in Republican politics because of the influence this uh, this coastal area will have on South Carolina politics in general. And Gavin, as he should be trying to do, is is better understand and equip himself to give a a proper accounting and narrative of where we are and where it is. Um, he thinks we're headed. So he's here as a guest in our studio this morning on his way to Horry County, which constitutes about 52% of the entire electorate in the 7th Congressional District. Um, so we'll see how that plays out. We'll, we'll do this. Let's take a call. And then I want to jump into this because we had, um, we've had well, multiple did, conversations did, about. Did we mention who Gavin's with? I mean, he's got the camera. He, he has moved on to the SCE TV yeah. is, is who he's doing the report for. Correct? Yeah. Right, Gavin? Yeah. Okay. And, and, you know, SCE TV and conservative talk radio um <laughs> not not exactly kindred spirits but, well you know but, but here we are but i just it want makes to mention all sorts to make the world go around that that's where gavin sure. uh, ended up is with sce tv after after he spent his time with a uh, good morning pd and wake up carolina uh, on friday morning and gavin doesn't know this but i've kept up with his career and i'm excited for him i'm happy for him i'm enthusiastic that he has um chosen us to kind of launch his yeah. morning coverage, early morning coverage at 6.05. So, um, yeah, let's go to Carl, and then we'll kind of um, we'll walk into this race or try to better understand this race. We're exactly a week out. I mean, the, you know, the votings will start, what, an hour, less than an hour um, next Tuesday morning. And I predicted it's happened that this race would begin garnering national attention because it's got this oddity. Uh, the, the oddity is a Trump-endorsed candidate running against a Trump uh, excuse me, a uh, an incumbent who voted to impeach Donald Trump. Um, that's not going to happen, but about two or three times. The others have kind of said, um, I see the writing on the wall and I'll retire. Adam Kinzinger of January 6th fame or the commission's fame is um, is retiring. Uh, actually got, you know, kind of um, uh, gerrymandered out of his district or, or uh, what am I trying to say here? Um, redistrict out of his district. Uh, Liz Cheney will be in August um, she's a bit stubborn in her um, perspectives of where the Republican Party should be. So we'll see how that works itself out. But um, let's go to the phone. We'll come back and, and give commentary. I'm sorry, Carl. Okay. We had Carl on the phone no, no longer. It's not there. Um, no. Yeah. Okay. 843-661-0937 is our number. So we've, uh, we've tried to address the best we know how um, where we think we're headed from here. One week from now, you folks in the 7th Congressional District will go to the poll. Um, I made the prediction the day after the impeachment vote that that would have, I mean, that, that's the guy who really isn't thinking about his reelection campaign. And, uh, you know, I think that's where we are. Um, there were some Rye supporters who believed the intensity would wane. There were some Rye supporters who believed, uh, out of sight, out of mind, you know, time heals all wounds, these other sorts of things. Rev, I just always believed that there is such intensity 
in this um in this America First movement. And I always believed that the and I think you can substantiate some of this um some of what I'm not armchair quarterbacking here or or you know saying I told you so, but I think we've been pretty consistent here in that um there's not going to be a battle for the heart and soul of the Republican Party. I've got my uh my computer right now, the National Review, reading an article by Andy McCarthy. Um uh the National Review historically has carried weight in Republican lore. Um if George Will said it, if William Buckley wrote about it, if Andy McCarthy comments on it, then um it's kind of the direction of which the party and I just think there's still a high degree of resistance. The resistance being those who aren't willing to accept that this is a new era of a Republican politics. Um I've tried to argue that it's an infant. Um, we're expecting a lot out of this political movement. I think we're expecting too much too fast. Um, it's a baby. Um, Trump was the wrecking ball. Trump was the, you know, a lot of folks have contended and argued that Trump was the cancer on the political system. I don't buy that. I think the Republican Party was sick. I think it was deathly ill, cancer, whatever disease you want to name. Trump was simply the most unregulated chemotherapy that we've ever, um, you know, <laughs> experimented with on a major political party, but I'm thinking about in my lifetime. I was born in 1963. I've not seen a major um, transformation within either political party. I think the left has um, become the dominant force in the Democrats, but it's been subtle. I mean, you had the Obama doctrine. You had the um, the 2008-12 election, but Obama in 08 ran against same-sex marriage. I mean, think of that. In 08, Barack Obama ran as a candidate who opposed um, same-sex marriage, because that's where the country was. But but Obama did. Um, now, for me, I don't agree with it. But if you're a leftist, if you're someone who believes that, you know, some of these um, ah, stale, pale, and male Republican politics are too encumbering to the, uh, to the American experiment, then you would probably be excited that Obama led that party off in a very different direction. Uh, once again, I disagree vehemently with Obama's policies, but I accept his influence. I accept that he was a transformational American president. Um, the Republicans had become, in my humble opinion, ah, very stale, pale, and male. I mean, it was a predictable party. It was, um, I wrote something down this morning. It was um, the no-bid contract neocon right. You know, the party of Bush and Cheney. And uh, when, when Reagan passed the keys to the Reagan Revolution along to George W. Bush, George H.W. Bush, I'm sorry, George H.W. Bush decided to not go that way, to basically go back to being, here we go with the cliches early this morning, the country club Republican. And out of that came, in my humble opinion, a very ineffective effort to defend the, the voting base of Republican primary voters. They were looking for something unique and different, and along comes Trump. And you can, you can like Trump. You can not like Trump. You can find Trump to be, uh, once again, the, the most advanced dose of chemotherapy in the history of American politics, unregulated chemotherapy, mind you. Or you can say he, he's an insane political leader who's going to lead a political party to its demise. I mean, th th there's counter debates here, and there's some, some fairly substantive conversations to be had about that. But when Rice voted to impeach Trump when he did, I just had uh, a belief that that was it. I mean, you don't do that. There, there's a bridge too far. And, and I think, you know, when doubling and tripling and quadrupling down on that vote, I respect it. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Um, Tom may not want me to say this as loudly and proudly as I say, but Tom Rice is a friend of mine. Uh, Tom got elected to Horry County Council, excuse me, chairman of Horry County Council, the same election cycle, the same day that I got elected uh, in the Republican primary, lieutenant governor nominee. 
So we have, um, you know, kind of a um, an intertwined past, so to speak. And I like Tom. You said it fairly eloquently, about as eloquently as you say something. Uh, you said it a few days ago that, um, you know, you don't like what he did because he forced your hand to consider That's someone right. other than um, Tom Rice. But but political campaigns have a lot of features. The, the, the prominent feature always is the math. I mean, we've got narratives. We've got agendas. We've got perspectives. We've got, you know, political realities and political, uh, you know, uh, opinions. And I mean, all this goes into the mash that makes up a campaign and an election. And, and I just look at the math, and I've said this and I'll say it again. I've kept up fairly frequently with the math. Um, some friends of the uh, consulting slash lobbying slash um, polling business. And I just looked at the approval ratings of Trump. And they're, I mean, they're flatlined. But you know what they aren't, Rev? They aren't flatlined at 50. They aren't flatlined at 60 or 70. These approval ratings are in the mid-80s. The lowest I've seen Trump's approval in Horry County is 83%. The highest I've seen is 89%. So how do, you, how do you convince a voter in a Republican primary to cast a ballot in your name when you voted to impeach a guy who has a roughly 90% or at least in the mid-80s percent approval rating in Horry County? That's the math of this campaign. This is not a matchup between Russell Fry and Tom Rice. This is not a matchup between Ken Richardson and Barbara Arthur, who will be with us in about, what, 40 minutes from now? Uh, this is a campaign about Tom Rice versus uh, a vote he took, and that is the vote to impeach President Donald Trump. Um, there are some Republicans, I know many Republicans who say, I get the vote, but to help Schumer and Pelosi, who have tried to basically destroy the Trump presidency from the time he got there, remember he's impeached very early in his, preg- uh, in his pre- presidency, um, I'm about to say pregnancy. It has gained a little weight there, but I think that's fish sandwiches. I'm pretty sure that's not that's not pregnancy. But but I mean, that, that, we can we can um, have an extensive conversation if you'd like. And Gavin's here, and uh, we can sit down, and we can you know we can go through county by county, precinct by precinct, rural, urban, um, you know, coastal growth area, declining rural population. I mean, all those matter, and I think they deserve serious consideration. But at the end of the day. The only feature of this race that matters is can someone vote to impeach a former president who has an approval rating north of 80%? No. Let me, let me emphatically say, you ready? Hell no. There, there is no way you can do that. Now, now, can Rice court Democrats and convince them to cross over? I don't know. Uh, 180,000 Democrats voted in Atlanta. It didn't, it didn't uh, cost Purdue the election. Purdue was going to lose anyway. He just wanted to lose by 40 or 50 percentage points. Um, I don't know the number of Democrats or crossovers that have to come into the Republican primary a week from today and change the outcome of the election, but it's a lot. I mean, it's a lot, and I've said it. I'll say it again. I think Rice's high water mark is somewhere around 41 or 42. I don't see him getting to 45. Um, the Trump endorsement has given Russell the necessary energy to basically separate himself from the field who were amongst the candidates who didn't vote to impeach Donald Trump. That's the central issue here. You've got one candidate who voted to impeach Donald Trump. Everybody else is running against the candidate who voted to impeach Donald Trump. And um, is, is the Trump endorsement important? To some degree, but it pales in significance of the Trump impeachment vote. That's what this race is about. That's what this race was going to be about. That's what this race will be about. And I think Tom Rice loses in South Carolina. I think Liz Cheney loses in Wyoming. And um, do I think the Trump influence will wane? Yes, of course I do. 
But I think many, many Republican primary voters in America today have bought into this America first agenda, this America first concept. You and I were talking, if America first were a business and I could put three members on its board of directors, I would probably put Ron DeSantis, J.D. Vance, and Peter Thiel. I think they provide the intellectual underpinning that is required to sustain a political movement and, and help a political movement evolve from one of the next. I left Trump off. Uh, you're looking at me like, what, what do you mean mm-hmm. you left Trump off? I can hear some of our callers. He's in his mid-70s. I mean, he'll be 79 by 2024. I mean, I, you know, personally, I don't want to vote for a 79-year-old guy. I would rather a Ron DeSantis, a, a Peter Thiel-influenced candidate, a J.D. Vance who has, once again, some of the intellectual underpinning that I think is necessary to lead this political movement to the um, to the promised land of politics, so to speak. So I want to go on the record, and I've said it, I'll say it again. Um, I respect what Trump did. I mean, I admire what he did to some degree uh, because he fought so many passionate and organized forces to get to the White House, and once he got there, it got even tougher. So, so I understand competing against the insiders, competing against the establishment, um, the, the, uh, the, I don't want to say the, uh, it's so cliche to say deep state or swamp. I mean, I try to stay away from some of those cliches, but I do think there's a passionate, passionate feeling in Washington of making sure they impede the progress of this America first movement. But I think it's, I mean, I think that train's left the station 66% for you folks in Pamplico. That's two of three um, Republican primary voters identify as America first. So, you know, are we going back to what I call the no-bid contract neocon right of Bush and, you know, Cheney and McCain and Romney. No. I mean, that, 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 there's not a battle for the heart and soul of the Republican Party today. That battle's settled. It's America first forward. Now, who are the standard bearers? And I think this election will, will basically be um, a solidification of how powerful America Force first is uh, within the Republican Party in one of the reddest states in America. Uh, a person who was voted with Donald Trump, what, 94% of the time? Isn't that what, kind of what Congressman Rice says? Um, and I don't think Tom's anti-America first. I think he's frustrated, and I think his comments Sunday reflect that frustration when he off-the-cuff says, you know, I would support Liz Cheney as a um, as a Speaker well, of the I House. I still haven't figured that well, out. Well, I mean, I, I figured it out. You know what, well, you tell what the math is? Yes. Yeah. That's the guy who has 0% chance of winning or 0% chance of losing. And you say what you'd like to say. I mean, as you're riding out the door, uh, you know, you don't want to leave any stone unturned. <laughs> so, so um, you know, he's he's a bit bothered by the way this has played out, and that's to be expected. You would expect him to be bothered by the way this has played out. He took a vote that he believes was the right vote. I predict he's going to pay a significant political consequence for taking that vote because many, 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 many people questioned what Trump did, but inciting an insurrection and, and kind of joining Pelosi, Schumer, Schiff, and the other Democrats and kind of hitting him one last time as he left the building, I think it's just a bridge too far. We'll see how it plays out in a week, but that's just my personal accounting of where this race is one week from Election Day. Let's take a break. We'll be back on the other side. Take some calls. Back in a minute. I'm sure I got a big check coming my way because I'm doing double duty. I mean, I normally get you some coffee and some water during the break, maybe go to the restroom. No, Gavin's got me (laughs) in front of the camera being interviewed. You had a camera in your face doing interviews in the breaks yeah. here. And we can do the interview over the air. Yeah. Fine with me. That, that may find that a bit interesting. Yep. Let's get Gavin a mic. I mean, he may want to jump All in right. here for a second. Like and I see, oh, yeah, really had to twist his arm to get yeah. him. Like, give me that mic. Yeah. 
Just, just like old times. No, Gavin, this is my headset. Leave mine alone. You can get. Okay. <laughs> let's, let's go to the phone. Someone's there. All right. Hey, Carl, you there? Yeah, I never hung up to begin with. I'm sorry, Carl. Um, they gave me a signal. I thought maybe maybe I misinterpreted their signal. I thought you had um you had hung up. I'm sorry. No. Uh, let me talk about the seventh minute and if, if I got got time for the sixth because you are broadcasting in both. Number one, seventh district. This is very cut and dry. If you are supporting someone who's a non-rice candidate, go in and vote for that person. Don't let anybody, I don't know who this was you had on Friday, Ken, it was either Jay Jordan or it was Philip Lowe or whoever that was, saying that uh, anybody who's not voting for Friday is wasting their vote. That is a lie. The only people that, that need to be discouraged from voting for somebody on Tuesday is anybody voting for uh, Tom Rice. Those are the only people who need to go in and vote for somebody else. So if you're voting, if you're supporting any of those other candidates, go in and vote for them. And then when the 28th hits, if there's a runoff, then you then you know what to do. So if you just telling people uh, to not vote for their preference is telling them not to vote, and that is stupid. Number two, there's only two groups that I want to talk to as far as Seventh District. If you are undecided. Go and vote for Fry. If you are a Tom Rice supporter, do what Tom did and, and betray him because he stabbed Trump in the back. You go in and you vote for Fry. Those are the two groups that I would say to go in and do something other than support your non-Rice candidate. If you are already supporting um, Bob Rother or um, Fry or Morris Richardson, McBride, Barton, go in and support them. Because there, there is a tomorrow, and they may run for something else where um, they could point to the support they had in this election. Now, um, that's all I got to say about that. Sixth, but the sixth district is the really big uh, election here. All right, um, Clyburn has not had a primary since 2014, and his people are used to him not even being in a primary and only voting. For him on in November, if you are in the sixth district, which is from Lake City all the way down to the Georgia line, and it includes—I mean, it just spreads all over the place. It includes Columbia, um, parts of, of Sumter County, Orangeburg County, Beaufort County, and Charleston County. If you are in that sixth district and you are a Republican, you need to vote in the Democratic primary against Jim Clyburn. That is the only shot you have. Matter of fact, it's so desperate for them now that they have Kamala Harris come to the 6th District on Friday to stump for him. And he was he was the one, I mean, she was kind of bounced out um, ahead of time, but he was the one who kind of clinched it for on uh, Joe Biden. And it could be said that he gave us Joe Biden. But she's coming to stump for him so he does not lose his primary. If Republicans in the 6th District, that's Orangeburg, Calhoun County, that is, um, uh, let me see, Orangeburg, parts of Richland County, um, your listing area down there, Sumter County and all that, you need to go in and vote in that 6th that District Democratic primary. There's only about 30% Republicans in that district anyway. But you, there's enough of us to um, to flip that district, not the district, the primary, 
so that he is not on the ballot in November. If he gets on that ballot in November, he will not be beat. And so that's all I got to say about that, because I know you have these other folks that are coming up um, today. But all of those non, non-rice, anti-rice um, candidates, go and vote for them. Support them. Do not let anybody tell you that you're wasting your vote. The only people who need to be told to go in and vote for Fry on, um, on Tuesday are Fry supporters and then undecideds and then rice supporters because we have to fry rice. Thank you, Carl. Appreciate that. 843-661-0937. Gavin, a long time since you've been behind the microphone here at, um, well, it was PD. I mean, that was a good morning PD wake yeah, up, Carolina. It was, it was good morning PD. Okay, it was good no, morning PD when you were here. Days. Well, I mean, Friday mornings when I get Yeah, not, not, not only have you moved media. on to, uh, as a mover and checker, we've kind of held our own here. <laughs> oh, yeah, at, no uh, doubt. At wake that's, up why, Carolina. that's why I'm here covering yeah, you. Well, I hear you. I hear <laughs> Actually, you. Actually, the huh? studio looks different, too. I mean, yeah. when you're here, we were one room. Now it's two rooms and yeah. all these TVs and lights. And You guys are big time. Yeah, you better believe it. I mean, we've got millions of people hanging on every word we we utter. I mean, your interest is, I mean, obviously you're here in a in the capacity of a news person, a reporter, a a journalist. Your interest is, what exactly are you looking for um, as you report from the 7th Congressional District? So I host a show this week in South Carolina, Mm -hmm. which airs Friday nights at 7.30 on ETV. I'm watching. Good show. (laughs) It really is. Thank you. Uh, I don't agree with you much, but I guess I guess Well, there's nothing to agree with. I'm just presenting the news and the facts. But right now, what I'm working on is a big piece. (laughs) I have to deal with this every day in Columbia. Uh, What I'm working on is like a big piece for the 7th Congressional District. You know, originally I wanted to do a bigger piece on all the primaries, Nancy Mays, Katie Arrington, these Trump primaries. But that one, the first congressional district, looks like a little bit more of a foregone conclusion. And Nancy Mays, she did all that talking back after January 6th, but she didn't do that vote. And that's the big difference here in this race is which is what Tom Rice did. So that's why we want to focus on that because, you know, it's say what you want if he's going to win or lose. <clears throat> it's just going to be interesting to see how it shakes out. You know, he's running for his, what, sixth term? Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're talking about some guy that's a Trump guy all the way up and through and through until he saw something that he didn't agree with, a lack of leadership. And then all of a sudden, everything he's done up to that point is kind of, you know, it evaporates. It, it's, it, it's interesting to well, see. It, 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 there is a, and, and this is where I guess I break ranks with some of the Trump crowd. Uh, if, if you're careful, purity can become cult-like. Yeah. I mean, it, it really can. Um, I expressed to you during the break that my interest, and it's, I've been fairly consistent in this, um, my interest is reforming the Republican Party. I think the Republican Party lost its way. I think the Republican Party became um, the party of special interest, the party of interventionism, the party of globalism. I'm not saying I'm staunchly anti-global, but I think globalism has displaced a lot of American workers, Mm -hmm. and I think political parties have failed to consider the human carnage uh, that, that you leave behind. I mean, jobs aren't numbers on a sheet of paper. I mean, it's a way of life. It's a livelihood. It's part of your your personal well-being. Your personal wealth is associated with those jobs. Um, now, now, can Trump fix that? No. I mean, I don't think he can, but I, I told you earlier, I think Trump is the wrecking ball. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think Trump was necessary. You don't you don't um, basically hijack political parties with nice, niceties or, or politeness or pleasantries. Mm-hmm. You got to got to be aggressive and and fundamentally different. Now, now, I'm more interested, Gavin, in where do we go from here? Yeah, and that's what and, and Ken, you were kind of talking about that a minute ago, too. And, and with one on one, we were talking about how we're not going back to that party of George H.W. Bush. So does that mean we're not going back to Tom Rice type people as well. I mean, I think there's a um, there, there's kind of a uh, there's some gray there, and I don't know that I have with clarity exactly where we go from here. Is Russell Fry a full throttled America firster? 
I mean, I've, I've got a lot of friends in my world who say, look, I'm not voting for Tom, but I think Russell is kind of Tom Lott. You know, so so I'm concerned about his establishment um, credentials or, or his willingness to go down the road of really um, being an America firster. The, the, the problem with uh, the Republican Party right now, you don't know who means it or who's saying it simply because the wind is blowing that way. Is J.D. Vance genuinely a, a Republican America firster or did J.D. Vance realize that's the only way I win this primary? Mm-hmm. Uh, is Blake Masters genuinely in Arizona an America firster? Or is that the only way I can get the teal 10 million bucks and get myself to the top tier? So there are a lot of uncertainties here. And I'm not naive to any of that. I accept that the politicians say what they have to say to get where they want to get. But I think the um, the vetting will be not whether or not this is an America first party. I think it's an America first party. And I think you would agree in some way, shape or form to that analogy. I just think you got to find out who are the real America firsters. And who are the imposters kind of playing the hand that, that lies before them at this current time? Let's go to the phone, then we'll take our next break. Here's Dale in Florence. Good morning, Dale. Good morning, guys. Just for a minute, did you guys see that uh, Biden's going to sit do a sit-down interview with Jimmy Kimmel? Uh, I think I did. I, I think it. I saw that yesterday. These are not serious people. They're just not. What are they going to do? Sit around and chug beers and watch girls on trampolines like the the man show that Kimmel did? But in all honesty, Dale, there will be more people watching Kimmel than any Sunday morning talk show. Well, and I agree with that. I'm just saying if you're voting for these people, these are not serious people. Um, If you guys don't mind just for a minute, I'm pretty sure that we're going to do okay in this next election cycle, but... I want to get to the 2024 presidential just for a second, guys. I'm still stuck on, if not Trump, then who, for, for, for our side. Ken, I, I, I'm totally with you about the America first thing. You know, a, a few years ago, you heard me talk a lot about a third party. Well, I think I'm getting what I wanted. I'm getting my party to go in the direction I needed it to go in for me to be happy. Um, but... I just, I'm not comfortable with Donald Trump running for president again. And I wonder if you guys, I mean, I know Ron DeSantos is still there and some other people. Is Trump going to back off and allow somebody else to, you know, carry the movement forward? Or is he going to, you know, twist until there's just no choice to be done and everybody's tired of it? You guys have a good day. Thank you, Dale. I just don't see any path forward um, if Trump wins, let's say let's say Russell wins Tuesday uh, in a runoff. I mean, it's, there's going to be a runoff. It, it's going to be between Rye and Frost. Um, so let's say Russell wins. Let's say Cheney loses. Let's say J.D. Vance gets elected. Let's say Blake Masters wins. There's no way Trump walks away. I don't care if he's 109. I mean, the guy loves bright lights, and he loves the attention, and he loves to be the center of the universe. So there's a um, that there's a self-perpetuating reality that is inescapable. Donald Trump was this guy before he became president. I mean, he's always been a marketer and a brander, and it's all about me, 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 me. Um, I think the movement is better if Trump steps aside um, or maybe forced aside in some way, maybe highly encouraged to be a kingmaker instead of someone who's running for office. But once again, if Masters wins Arizona, Vance wins Ohio, Oz wins Pennsylvania, Rice loses in South Carolina, let's hypothetically say Katie Arrington wins in Charleston. I don't think that happens. 
Because once again, I don't think Trump's influence is as strong in Charleston as it is in Ori. And Mace didn't vote to impeach. So I think there's some, uh, it's a little bit different race and phenomena down there. But how does Trump take a pass on, on making the wrong right? The guy believes he got screwed. A lot of his voters believe he got screwed. So if all those things happen, how does he say, you know, I'm honored, I'm humbled. I mean, he's never said I'm humbled. Um, I appreciate, you know, the, the enthusiastic support, but I'm going to take a pass here. Unless something happens with his health. Now, now I know firsthand that the guy's trying to repair a business empire. I mean, I've got some people not only inside circle, but I've got some people in the periphery of the inside circle of Trump. I mean, his business took a big lick when he went off into public service and he was so polarizing and, and controversial, the PGA and some of these other organizations that disassociated with, with Trump um, Incorporated or the Trump Real Estate Company. So he's got a lot of um, fixing of things to do there, and he'll be 79. And as a Republican who believes this party could eventually transform into an America First Party, I just don't want a 79-year-old guy. Uh, being the head of it, but I'm if sorry. His, if his, you know, he shows if he's almost the same age as Biden. There's obviously a big difference in their cognitive sure. awareness and ability to communicate, et cetera, et cetera. Give me four more years of Trump. Oh, I mean, if, I he's, if he's cognitively like he is now, um, give me four more years of the Trump. The quicker we make this about um, not one man. The better off we And then let him him work on the transition, though. Let him well, I mean, maybe make DeSantis his VP. Here's what I'll say. It doesn't make a damn what any of us say. Trump is going to do what he decides to do. Gavin? Well, when you talk about DeSantis a lot, but Trump and DeSantis, I mean, sure. they, I mean they butt heads. And he created one animal, and now he's his own thing running. <laughs> so, I mean, it's I, I think you're kind of right there, Ken. The, the sooner you make it less about one man and more about this movement, which I think that they're all trying to do. But... You know, if you have a wide open primary again, like we had in 2016, we all know what happened there. It was a slaughter. I <laughs> oh, mean, yeah. So. Well, I mean, if he runs, he wins. Yeah. I mean, I'm convinced of that. DeSantis may could um, give him a run for the money, but I mean, mm-hmm. if, if he runs in a primary and somebody got a gun pointed in my head, who wins the Republican? I mean, Donald Trump. I mean, who would vote yeah. against or who would bet against that becoming reality? Take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. 843-661-0937. Good friend Gavin Jackson of ETV in the studio with us this morning. Kind of, um doing journalistic work on behalf of ETV, trying to better understand the 7th Congressional Republican primary a week from today. Let's go to the phone. Eddie in Chirag. Good morning, Eddie. Hey, good morning, man. How are you? Hey, Eddie. How are you? Good, good. I'm doing well, thanks. Hey, here's a little food for thought that I don't know if too many people are thinking about this, but where everybody's talking about the midterms and everything, what if we never get to the midterm? Because to me, this Democratic Party, they aren't too worried about this big red wave that's coming in November. And the way they're talking on the news and everything, it's like Biden is there to, to stay. It's, it's, it might be just a conspiracy theory, but it's something to think about because he can push the button and say, this is a martial law or this is an emergency situation. And this is what we'll have to deal with until it's over. So just something to think about, guys. Thank you, Eddie. I don't think about that often. I don't think we've ever not had midterm elections. Um, I mean, I get it. I mean, I understand the paranoia that some people have about government. I'm pretty paranoid about government myself and, um, and find big government to be very uh, creepy. There's a good word for you. Creepy this morning. But, but in my heart, I'm a conservative. In my heart, I want limited government. In my heart, 
I'm an old school Jeffersonian libertarian, so naturally I'm inclined to believe, you know, more and more government is scarier and scarier government. Uh, Gavin and I were talking a second ago, the America First movement is not conservative. It's not right or left. Um, Once again, it's still trying to find its footing, find out where it could be most effective. My reason for supporting Trump, Gavin, was China immigration and trade. I thought the Republican Party had failed in addressing mm-hmm. China in a meaningful way. Uh, I mean, it, it, it cheats. I mean, it, it, you know, the day that the, the Republican Party allowed, and the Republican Party was part of this, um, Clinton and, and the Bushes, but but the day we legitimized China by allowing them to be a member of the World Trade Organization was a bad day for the American worker. Yeah. Um, yeah. Immigration yeah. policy in America has um, so distorted supply and demand of unskilled labor. Um so you got immigration, you got trade, NAFTA, GATT, TPP, some of these trade deals that basically invited 4 billion poor people into the manufacturing economy. So so I want to see the America First kind of concentrate its policy efforts on immigration, trade, and China, and an empowerment, um, and I don't know, Gavin, a recreating of the prosperity of the American worker. Well, yeah, <clears throat> you were talking about that, and I think you know a big reason a lot of that happened, too, was because companies were making big profits off that. All those four billion people for and cheaper labor contributions yeah. to political campaigns and candidates, and you know, I think there was that big push, like you were talking about under the Trump administration, America First, and I think that was exacerbated too by the pandemic when we saw these supply chain issues, and I think that's another way of all this stuff kind of being on short again. So we're seeing medical supplies come back on short. We're talking about you know chip manufacturing in Ohio, stuff like that, to kind of get all these components back into the economy here, because you are at the whim of. A container ship getting stuck in the Suez Canal or lockdowns in China, all these different things. And we're realizing that at the same time, you want to reinvest in America at the same time. I'm highly dependent upon people who you would consider your geopolitical adversary. I mean, that's just that's not smart politics. That's not smart government. Take a break. Back in a minute. Change my computer screen. Gavin relocated himself. He's over my right shoulder now with his um, camera. And I was looking at the New York Times, an article of the New York Times, Uh-oh. and if our listeners find out Ooh. that I explore the New York Times, they'll stop listening any longer. Don't so be I've caught. got the Wall Street Journal strategically <laughs> placed here on the computer. No New York Times for me. It's all about the conservative mainstream media. Yeah, for Gavin's that benefit, be the Wall Street you Journal. should have SCETV up on your screen. Well, I mean, I, website, I've done right? that before. Okay. I, I've kept up, and I, and I mean this sincerely, and he knows I mean this sincerely. I'm happy for him. I'm proud of what he's done here. Um, I, I, we jokingly say that we are the launch pad to stardom. We certainly um, know we're kind of joking around when we say that. But um, but but a few of these guys have come through here. They played small parts at our um, feeble attempt at Radio Brilliance, and they've gone on to bigger and better things. And I'm proud and happy that um, these guys and, and ladies have gone on to bigger and better things. That's what the world is about. Um, that's what young people are supposed to do, find better opportunities and pursue those opportunities. Gavin asked me during the break about Horry County, you know, and um, what is your take on Horry County? And I think anybody that says I completely understand Horry County, just being dishonest. I mean, nobody completely understands Horry County. Um, I do believe that in the future, I think we may be there now, Greenville will always be a dominant factor and force in Republican statewide politics, but the majority of influence and the growth of influence will be along the coast. And and I refer to these people as Giuliani Republicans. They're transients. Um, there can't be anybody left in Ohio. There can't be anybody <laughs> left in, in New Jersey. They've all moved to the South Carolina. Because we interviewed Geraldo Rivera on this show uh, a year or two ago. And Geraldo said, every relative I have moved to South Carolina. I mean, I'm a New Yorker, but I'm the only one up here in my family, Bill O'Reilly. Um, you're laughing because O'Reilly said, I mean, I've been here all my life, but O'Reilly said, 
in typical humble fashion. Sure. Ken, if you never need anything down in South Carolina, yeah. let me know. I got cousins I know, I know a lot of people. That, that live along yeah. the coast there. I know a lot of people. But um, <laughs> anyway, it's an interesting race, and um, it, it'll be uh, bandied about and talked about as we progress through this week. We've got candidates. We've got a Barbara Arthur with us this morning. She's in our studio now. We've got Ken Richardson tomorrow. We've got Russell Fry Thursday. We've got uh, Tom Rice on Monday. So you'll have a up-close and personal one-hour uh, review of what these candidates have to say, why they believe uh, they deserve your vote. So, um, yeah, we're talking about the district in general, but we're going to concentrate on these candidates. And one candidate that I've given a lot of credit to, and um, I don't know how well she's done because nobody's casted a ballot yet, but uh, my instinct says that a candidate who has probably moved as much as any candidate in the field has been Barbara Arthur. If we all start at zero and the Trump impeachment vote and the power of the incumbency puts you in a certain place, and then the Trump endorsement puts you at another place, it's it's complicated to find another Elena, kind of an avenue to be competitive in this race. But the person I think who's done it as well as anybody is Barbara Arthur. She's with us this morning. Good ma'am. Uh, good morning, ma'am. How are you? Good morning. I'm so, well. So, so if, if my um, if my counting is correct, if my assumptions are correct, um, what do you attribute that to? Why do you believe that a certain universe of the Republican electorate have really engaged in what you have to say? I believe they see sincerity, and I believe they like my message. They hear that what I'm saying, first and foremost, is we need to turn back to God. This is the Bible Belt. I'm still strong on that. This is who I am. We are in a time in our in our nation, in our world, that only the power of God can see us through this mess. So that resonates with South Carolinians and with people of District 7. What does America First Republican mean to Barbara Arthur? It means, for me, our men and women in uniform who have laid down their lives, that we may be free. That is, for me, that is America First. Those young men and women and older men and women who laid down their lives that I may have freedom. They made America. Besides God, their work, their faithfulness, their dedication made America first. And then after that, of course, is our children. Training our children to love the flag, love God, love our nation. And, of course, bring in um, industries back home, commerce back home. That's putting America first, taking care of us first. When you say bring industry and commerce back home, give me some policy solutions Give me examples of things Congressman Arthur would advocate on behalf of to bring jobs and manufacturing back to South Carolina, empower the American working class. Sure. Number one, fight against those Democrat socialist policies because their main objective is to do away with industries here in, in, the, in the United States because they are against capitalism. And they've proven that the best when they stopped oil drilling here in America because of this farce. Green New Deal. This Green New Deal, we have paid, what, $5 trillion in the past 20 years, and it's gotten nowhere? That is just a distraction. That Green New Deal is is just their, their um, title, if you will, to do away with industry and commerce in the United States. They are against capitalism. So if we want to bring industry, we're going to have to fight these socialist policies. 
because their objective is to do away with capitalism. What did Karl Marx say? His goal in life was to dethrone God and to destroy capitalism. And they're trying to make that happen. If the Republican Party transitions <laughs> into a pro-worker party, do they become an anti-corporate America party? A pro-worker? Explain, please. Well, the, the empowerment of the, of, the, of the American worker. A lot of uh, what I believe America First was, um, was created upon, Donald Trump ran on Build a Wall, China cheats, and we made really bad trade deals. Okay. When you look at immigration and the allowance of unskilled labor into our country, unfettered, unchecked, illegally, um, that distorts the marketplace for labor. Right. And, and the American worker has to suffer as a result of that. When, when you look at trade, NAFTA, GATT, TPP, some of these trade deals, I believe, were too heavily weighted in favor of corporate America at the expense of the American worker. And then when you look at China, legitimizing China and some of the abhorrent um, you know, uh, human rights issues they have, but but allowing them to become the, the world's manufacturing plant has also despaired the American worker. Um, does the Republican Party become anti-corporate America if they address immigration, trade, and and China? Because those three have really been very beneficial to corporate America. No, we need to address China first and foremost. China is- What would Congressman Arthur do in relation to China? I would expose how deep they are here in the United States and vote against anything that has to do with them having more access to our farmlands and our industries and our schools. That's what I would do if the Lord allows me to serve. Right now, they have these Confucius schools. I think you've heard me speak about this that a lot of people don't even know about. And what people are concerned with CRT, right? Critical race theory. But a lot of people don't understand Confucius schools. Confucius schools is paid by the the Chinese Communist Party, pays our universities, and they work with the college board. And professors from the CCP come in and train these uh, our young minds. And many times these professors have linked to the military. I would stop that. Right now, because of the controversy, many of the universities have closed down. For instance, there was one at USC, at the University of South Carolina, supposedly that stopped and they closed. However, there's still one at the Presbyterian College. Our young minds are being attacked with communist soft propaganda and parents and, and even the children don't even know what's going on. And the, Barbara would work against that and expose it right now, like I'm doing right now. That should not happen in the United States of America. That should not be happening here in South Carolina and President Trump enacted an order that if any institution received money from the CCP, they were supposed to report it. And on the day Biden got in there, he rescinded it. Another thing, Trump enacted an, an executive order on May 1st, 2020, banning over 200 power grids from China here in the United States because of extra parts in the transformer for national security reasons. Biden gets in there January 20th and rescinds that. And, you, and you're wondering why? What's going on? Why is he doing that? What about all those companies that we're trading with that are feeding the CCP military, that we're strengthening the CCP military? They have they have grown twice in size in the past 10 years. Do you want to go to war with China? Because I sure don't. Barbara would work against all that. Uh, they should not be buying our farmland. And all and, and our products should be made here in the United States, not in China. Is China a more dangerous political or geopolitical adversary than Russia ever has been. I believe it. I believe so. 
China is in deep. China has paid off our media. And all you have to do is look at FARA, Foreign Agent Registration Act, and see how much millions, if not billions, China has paid our media. And you're wondering what's going on with our media. Why have they become activists? Because they have been trained to become activists. As, as a matter of fact, China has a lobbying group, has many lobbying groups here in the United States. One in particular seeks out journalists while they're still honing their craft that they may be trained in communist tactics so that they could be trained in being China friendly. That's that's just one of the many uh, groups that they have um, lobbying groups to do their their work, their dirty work. So this is we're in so much trouble. Our media has been bought by China. And so they don't cover how deep China is in the United States and actually what is taking place and what's going on with China. Many of our elected officials are sold out to China. Biden is one of them. Do we have a call? Okay, let's go. I want to make sure we're talking to Barbara about the issues of the 7th Congressional Republican primary. (laughs) If you're a caller and a question regarding this race, um, who is this we're calling from? You talking to me, kid? Yes, sir. You're on, Breeze. <laughs> hey, I'm going to tell you something right now. I can hear, and, and, and Ms. Arthur, this is all, with all due respect, I can hear the people right now, the normal, what you, these country club Republicans, saying, oh, this lady's crazy, this lady's that. But you know what? She's nailing it. She's nailing it right between the eyes. These other candidates haven't got the gut, half the guts this lady has to stand up and fight. And I'm sick and tired of these daggone sissy Republican men that haven't got the guts to daggone on look themselves in the mirror and realize they're candy behind. We need somebody to go over there and fight and fight and fight. Now, you know, all of these real polished up lawyers, they answer the questions. They don't answer the questions. They make their own statements. We've got to have fighters there. And this lady doesn't have the money that she needs in the back end. But Barbara Arthur one day somewhere will be somewhere in this in this whole uh, in this whole thing, and we have Republicans that we're fighting right now. They'd be fighting what Tucker Carlson was talking about last night: why Democrats commit crimes like Eric Holder and don't get prosecuted, and then they throw a Trump guy in jail at a daggone airport. Where are our Republicans fighting? We need Republicans that will fight and fight hard, and this lady will outfight all of these guys combined. Thank you, Breeze. Appreciate that. Um, there's a resounding endorsement oh, for, from one of our regulars there. Breeze, um, thank you. You humble me. But, but Barbara, in all honesty, um, a lot of the, I mean, a lot of the praise and resentment to Trump. I mean, Trump cut both ways. You know that. I know that. But, but a lot of people were. Uh, it was different, but they enjoyed the fighting spirit that he had. Um, uh, my buddies and I joke around. Trump would rather fight then get along. I mean, he was at his best when he was kind of involved in a street brawl or turned everything into a into a street fight. Um, is that the new norm in American politics? I mean, is Trump creating a new blueprint of how to change government within a political party? I think he understood that he had to fight. He fought for two years because they were fighting against him for no reason. Did he fight too much? I don't believe he did. I okay. believe he had to fight back. Otherwise, we're just going to walk all over him, and he's not one to lay down, allow anybody to walk over him. Did he enjoy the fight? He was good at it. Let's just say that. He was very good at it. And we need more people like him who who know how to 
fight like he did and get things done while they're engaged in this battle. He was putting out fires constantly, and yet he accomplished more than most presidents have. Where is Trump's future within America first? Well, that's hard to say. Well, he's definitely a leader and uh, the king, if you will, of MAGA. But, uh, you know, that's hard to say. He could run and he then again, he could not. I I don't know. That's um, that's hard to predict. Okay, let's take a break. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes. We're, We're with Republican candidate Barbara Arthur, 7th Congressional District Republican primary one week away from today. We'll actually have votes being cast. Uh, by now, a week from today, Gavin Jackson of ETV is with us, kind of um, doing the journalistic work necessary to give a full accounting or comprehending of exactly what lies ahead. Back in a minute. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven is our number. Barbara Arthur, Republican candidate for the seventh congressional district, and I mean this sincerely, and I'm not trying to be flattering to anybody, but I think this lady has really exhibited uh, the authenticity and passion that garners. A following, and I mean that since I think in American politics today, we believe that so few people mean what they say, and we wonder when they say this, how was it poll tested, or was it uh, was there a focus group or a consultant that advises candidate A, B, or C to say X, Y, or Z? And I think Barbara's being rewarded. Um, now nah, I don't know how many votes she gets. I don't. She doesn't know how many votes she gets. Nobody knows how many she'll get. But I think authenticity and passion are something that voters reward political candidates today on behalf of. Let's go to the phone. Here is Jamie. Morning, Jamie. Hey, good morning, guys. Uh, good morning, Barbara. Good morning. I'm glad to speak with you. Um, Thank you, sir. I believe, um, I believe Breeze is right. Um, Barbara is focused on the bigger picture. I, you know, I don't think that whoever is seated, sitting in the 6th District seat um, is, uh, is, does it matter Um the money is still going to come from the federal government to the 6th district. I think um, Barbara is focused on the bigger picture, which I, I, I am excited about. And, Barbara, I don't change your message. Stay stay on the bigger picture because everything else under that will will take care of the country. And I, I just encourage you to, to keep running like you're the third elephant trying to get on Noah's Ark in this rain. <laughs> Thank you, and, and oh, thank, that, you. Let me, thank you, Jam. Appreciate it. Some of that, um, some of that encouragement does help you kind of smile another day and, and and plow forward another day. Absolutely, but I do want to say why I'm in this race and why the passion and you know, again, I go back to I love the Lord. I love the Lord with all my heart. I've been walking with Him for 29 years. I know my Father's voice. I spend time with Him while I'm gardening, and it was in 2020 as I was spending time in the garden that His hand came upon my heart and I knew there was something strong and something was going on. And that's when I did my research. And that's when I learned how deep China is in our country. And when I saw the communist tactics being used by the media on American citizens, that frightened me. It really shook me because I was born in communist Cuba. A lot of listeners may know my story and, and some may not. Brief us on your story, the cliff note of um of who Barbara Arthur is and where you come from. Absolutely. In 1969, we came, my dad and two, myself and two other siblings came uh, over from Cuba on Lyndon Johnson's freedom flights. The whole family was issued visas. However, Castro kept my mother and three other siblings and we were separated for 23 years. So communism affected my family personally and it destroyed. It was a devastation for our family to, to suffer what we suffered all we wanted was to be back together again. We were only 90 miles apart, yet 
we couldn't see each other. And it was um, it was a very, very difficult time. And asking when my mother was able to come to the U.S. in 1999 and 1992, I asked her, why would you allow our family to be separated? Tears streaming down her face. She said, Barbara, you had not eaten in three days. So what I see going on right now at the at the supermarkets, when I see that babies have ended up in the hospital because they don't have the type of formula that they need. When I walk down the aisle, the bread aisle, and it's empty or down the freezer aisle, and I don't see what we used to see there 40 years ago, we had everything we needed on these shelves, and now we don't. It, it concerns me. It bothers me. When I see the attack on our food food supply, food processing plants, and I don't see that the media is covering it properly, that really concerns me. It's like, what's going on here? This is too many accidents to be accidents. It, and, and so this, these, things, uh, these things are personal with me. And that is why I'm in this race. And although I, uh, we didn't, when I got in the race back in 2021, we weren't suffering the food shortages we are right now. We were, what, our freedom of speech and was, was being attacked and the media was using communist tactics with this intimidation. And, and that's, I knew that the next step was the food. I knew it. I, as a matter of fact, I, I posted it on Facebook that last fall. Food will be next. And I'm telling right now, our property is being attacked right now as we speak. Barbara, you seem to be the candidate in this race that doesn't believe we have subtle policy disagreements with Democrats. You believe the Democrats are dangerous and they will they will um, basically threaten the way your kids and grandkids choose to live as Americans. I mean, a lot of a lot of political people and you know this, but a lot of political people believe that's too bizarre to say that's too conspiratorial to to argue on behalf of but you were the one candidate in this race that has said over and over again this isn't subtle policy disagreements this is a political party that is a danger to our country's future they're after the soul of our country we are fighting for the soul of america these these because of the democrat socialists of america it's that party with rashida talib cory bush jameel bowman and aoc they belong to the democrat socialists of America, which is an offshoot of the Communist Party USA. They hate America, and they're the ones pushing for open borders. They're the ones pushing for defund the police. All you have to do is go on their website and see what, what they're about. And that's exactly what they say. Open borders, defund the police, and the Green New Deal. They are getting what they want. And what it is is to do away with our American way of living. We are we are fighting for the survival of our country. And but Ken, I have been campaigning now for over 15 months, me out on the field, talking to people, meeting people with an urgency because I know the direction our country's going and I don't want us to go there. And people see it. People hear it. People are aware. People are concerned. And I, I do see that. So, you know, while some politicians don't get it, at least the guys in this race don't get it. People out there do get it because I'm talking to them and they are concerned. They're concerned with their businesses. They're concerned. Why did their taxes go up overnight? Why the new regulations? Why were the incentives for their businesses taken away? Why? What's going on? Why can't we drill here in America when we've got oil? Why, what is this Green New Deal baloney? Uh, what, what's going on? So people are concerned and, and they are aware of what's happening. And they want to hear someone say, 
you're not crazy. This is right. What you are believing, our country is in trouble. Yes, this socialism ends in communism. Castro went in as a socialist. We are in trouble as a nation. And that's been my my campaign. Um, my campaign cry from the beginning is wake up, America. Communism is here. And it's we're only getting closer and closer with this WHO treaty. That is frightening. If anything is frightening, this WHO treaty is frightening. To give our authority to a to 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 an agent of China because they're not even friends they're it's an agent of China the World Health Organization that is frightening we didn't vote for them and for them to have this power over the American citizen if people don't understand what's going on I urge you to go to please look into the World Health Organization treaty of how this Biden wicked evil administration has given our authority over to the World Health Organization where they will be able to dictate whether we can travel or not, because we're going to be required to have these uh, vaccine passports and they will determine when there is a pandemic or any public crisis, they will determine that. So a week before the election, if they determine, oh, there is a uh, health crisis, you've got to lock, you've got to lock in, lock down right before an election. Who's to say what they can or cannot do? And then they have this governance board. This is part of the treaty. In addition to this disinformation governance board that our administration has created, there is one within this treaty with the WHO where, where we will not be allowed to criticize them in any way. Tucker Carlson has a wonderful uh, report on that on May 19th. You can just look that up, May 19th. He has um, explains it perfectly. That is frightening to be censored in such a way where we will we Americans will not be able to criticize the WHO because there will be consequences. What? If that's not communism, I don't know what. Well, is. and the, those treaties or that amendment, the, those amendments probably would have passed if not for some of the African nations <clears throat> that, that blocked the advancement of that. But, but I mean, Barbara's exactly right. The Biden administration has been very much on board and supportive of the W. It's basically transitioning some of the healthcare administration law to the WHO from the CDC. We're globalizing a lot of these decisions. Um, and the African nations, for whatever reason, uh, were the I don't know the, the impediments to this uh, these amendments becoming um, global law or law of uh, administrative law yeah. of the land. Let's go to the phone. Here's David in Florence. Hello, David. Good morning, everybody. Hey, David, how are you? Man, I, good. I tell you, this is such a refreshing conversation to uh, hear someone that is that you know that uh, that doesn't hold her finger up. And see which way the wind's blowing, just to, you know, so that they can uh, know what to say and how to say it and when to say it. Uh, you know, I, you know, I, I voted against Lindsey in the last primary because Lindsey, you know, he 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 does good. He does, you know, but but Lindsey does looks out for Lindsey. Lindsey don't look out for nobody but Lindsey, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, now you may agree with that or disagree, you know, but. Uh, that's just the way I see it. But uh, this young lady right here, man, uh, we need more individuals to stand up and tell the truth uh, without sidestepping and tiptoeing around the truth. Uh, you know, the truth is always going to be the truth, and the truth will always uh, be there. But, uh, man, oh, man, you know, uh, all the people out there listening, you know, we we talk about, 
term limits, term limits, term limits. Guys, you believe in term limits? Let's put some fresh people in Washington for a change and see what we uh, when we can't do any worse. That's for that's for doggone sure. Uh, you know, I mean, the whole country is is burning up and is a train wreck. So uh, let's put some fresh blood in there. Uh, let's support this young lady, and uh, you know, let's uh, let's see what happens. I mean, holy cow, man! Uh, we really, really appreciate you uh, standing up Thank and you. and saying what needs to be said. Uh, hoorah! Thank you, David. Appreciate that. Thank you, sir. That was just wonderful. Thank you so much. <laughs> but it goes back to the authenticity. I mean, I'm convinced of that. I mean, I, you know, I'm not a political scientist by any stretch of the imagination. I run for office a bunch, and um, I paid attention to voters a bunch. And then people detect authenticity. And uh, I mean, I, I told, I think I told Dave when you left the first time, I said, she'll do better than uh, a lot of people expect. Why? Because she's authentic. She's real. She means what she says. And that will resonate over and over and over again. How have you been received throughout the district? Because you've really worked hard. Yes, I have worked hard because my children's lives depends upon it. In how America. Is, so, so how has this very aggressive and provocative message, and I don't think you deny that. I mean, you know it's aggressive. You know it's provocative. It's real. It, okay, but, but how has it resonated with Republican primary voters? Pers- it has been wonderful because people see it. They know it. They don't want to be told what you're thinking and seeing. It's a lie. Don't believe your lying eyes and don't believe your deceiving ears. They know it. And they don't hear it from the media. It's not being, well, maybe on, on Fox it might be, but that they want to know that what they're seeing, what they're feeling is real. And it is real. And my message has been, look, we need to fight for America. We need to stand up and fight back this socialist, Marxist, communist, policy this administration that's in there right now that wants to destroy our country and people want to hear that people want to save america americans want to save the problem is they want somebody else to do it and i'm telling everyone it's not it's going to be take more than just the people you elect it's going to take you how much does freedom mean to you and i i tell everyone look the pilgrims crossed the ocean to be able to worship god in freedom the colonists picked up arms against the greatest military force on the planet at that time for freedom. Our men and women in uniform put their lives on the line every single day for our freedom. My father allowed our family to be separated for 23 years for freedom. And I say, God the Father gave God the Son that we may have eternal freedom. But what, free, what does freedom mean to you? What are you willing to do for it? I have, my life has, been, has changed when I... When I uh, submitted, if you will, to this uh, race and I uh, bought a pair of nurse's sandals and wore them out, uh, I was committed to fight for our freedom and grab a hold of every single American citizen that I possibly could and explain, look, what you are seeing here is, you call it socialism, and everybody was kind of laughing about it back then. This is communism. And it, it's starting right now with these communist tactics and an encroachment upon our freedom of speech. But then it's going to be our food. And now it's our guns. And that can never happen or we will lose America. And then it's our property. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Barry in Shaw. Barry, you're on with Barbara Arthur. Hey, good morning, guys. Good morning, Barbara. Good morning. Um, I really enjoyed you this Sunday. Um, I told Ken and them uh, really changed what I was thinking. I really enjoyed it. And uh, Ken... I want to say to to our viewers, this is a, a true American first candidate. 
She's not outside money. This is local money that's supporting her. We need to get behind her. Uh, anybody that's listening, text your friends. The people that listen to this station, your family and friends, look to you for candidates. Because a lot of people don't follow uh, politics. So you can influence people by just texting and telling them what to do. I mean, I hate it that it's like that, but you can. We can make a difference in our uh, Congressional 7 with a true American first candidate. So, Barbara, I really enjoyed it. Thank she you. always comes up to Chesterfield County. She always comes to the meetings. She's, she's, she's working hard, and that's what we need for our district. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you, Barry. Appreciate that. Thank Let's go so to the much. phone. Someone else is there. Next is Mike in Darlington. Hey, Mike, you're on Barbara Arthur. I really enjoy it, and on uh, uh, the you run on the money, uh, Barbara. Okay. But um, I, I'd like to know uh, what do you think would be the priority, the first thing that uh, we should uh, that we should attack as far as uh, repealing and limiting these crazy uh, policies that uh, Biden has uh, executed on the American people. Amen. Thank oh. you, Mike. Appreciate that, Barbara. Well. Of course, we have to take back the House and the Senate completely so we can make some changes. And these policies, these socialist policies, let's start drilling in America first and foremost. Let's get our own oil out of the ground. Uh, that will help America. But that will bring jobs and and lower the prices of gas and, the, and just all around. It, it'll help the economy all around. Let's stop sending money to other nations Uh Let's let's stop. Let's drop the Peloton membership. Believe it or not, there's a Peloton membership for staff members in Washington right now, which is ridiculous. It's just all this ridiculous spending. We need to take care of America by balancing our budget, by just cutting just about everything's on the table except the military and the police. We need to fight back on these socialist policies. Uh, let's encourage small businesses. They're the backbone of America. Let's give them incentives. Let's give them those tax breaks. Let's do what Trump did. And it worked. It worked. Uh, that's what we need to do. I have um, I'm, I've signed a contract, if you will, uh, that first order of business will be to impeach uh, tr- uh, Biden and Harris. That would be wonderful to get them out of there. But then you can we know who we have coming after that. So. Uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens with that. But, you know, we need to fight those socialist policies. That's what's hurting our country right now. Okay. Thank you very much. Let's take a break. Our last break, well, our next to last break of this hour, Barbara Arthur, Republican candidate, 7th Congressional District, is with us. We'll be back in just a minute. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven Tuesday morning. Barbara Arthur, Republican candidate, seventh congressional district, is with us. I'll give you a chance here in a couple of minutes, Barbara, to kind of um, state your case or give your closing remarks. I do want to ask you a question or revisit a question I asked on the the debate stage, and you candidates were real coy and kind of not answering that question. If there's a runoff that doesn't include Barbara Arthur, what motivates you to stay involved, pass the in, in this race and politics in general? Ken, I've never desired to be involved in politics. And if I'm going to answer this question in, in, in my different way. I'm okay. going to say I'm, I would get involved to save our country. Whatever it is I have to do to save our freedom, our future, our American way of living, our Second Amendment, all our amendments, our Constitution, 
I will do whatever it is I have to do to fight for America because we are in a battle. We're in a, a physical battle, really, with all this violence that's uh, happening here in, in the United States. But we're all, it's also a spiritual battle. Uh, we are, we're in trouble as a nation. So whatever it is I have to do to fight that battle, I'm going to do it. And right now, this is where I'm at. And so I'm, I'm, I'm doing it with all my heart. I don't do anything halfway. So when I went out to, um, to sound the alarm that we were talking about earlier, you know, I did it with all my heart. So whatever it takes, I'll okay. do whatever I have to do. Okay. The, uh, you got about three minutes here. I'll get out of the way and let you um, solicit support from our listeners and explain exactly why you believe you're the best candidate and, um, and the candidate that deserves the support of our, our listenership. Well, I appreciate that. Well, I'm not a lawyer politician. I am not trained in making backroom deals. I don't believe that right now we're at a state in our in our country that we can work this out with deal making. Right now, we must determine that we that America is worth fighting for. America is worth saving, and there's no compromising with that because that is the issue right now. The soul of our country is at stake here. So there's no compromising with that. And that's what I mean when I say I will not compromise. I will not be making deals with the devil who wants to destroy our country. Now, this is when we're not talking about how much money a university is going to get. I'm talking about those those socialist policies that seek to destroy our American way of living. So there is absolutely no compromise with that. For me, it's a hill to die on. Our freedom is not something you negotiate with. Our Second Amendment is not something you negotiate with. And on that issue, we have got to protect our Second Amendment because if we lose that in any way, we will lose our country. That's exactly what Castro did. He came in and took all the guns and people could not defend themselves. The, if they take guns, they're taking them away from the, the, the good people the law-abiding citizens, because criminals will always have guns. So we must protect that to, to protect our nation. I am going to seek to honor God because he's the one who blessed our nation. And we need to remember where we came from. I will not divorce God from politics because if the founding fathers had done that, we would not have the Constitution. It is important. Morality is important. And we need to bring that back to our to our White House. I'm going to fight those Democrat Socialists of America and their wicked agenda to overthrow our nation. They hate America. I want you to go on their website. I want you to see what they're all about. They want open borders. They want to defund the police. They want that Green New Deal. And that Green New Deal, all that is, that targets capitalism. That's all that is. It targets capitalism. And it wants to do away with that. So I'm going to fight that. I, I appreciate the American way of life. And without capitalism, you really cannot achieve the American dream. And that opportunity is offered to everyone. It's been, it was offered to me and my family when we came here 52 years ago in 1969. And for that reason, I'm going to fight very hard for, for America. I, I understand legal immigration because I have lived it. My mother, uh, we were separated for 23 years because of communism and legal immigration. I think legal immigration is extremely important. America is not against immigration. America just wants done right. And that is not too much to ask for. We need secure borders. And what you do, Ken, it's quite simple. You shoot the cartels, period. We take care of a problem that we have at that border. And that can, if President Trump was in office, he would have done that. He would have taken care of our borders. And then build that wall. Finish that wall. 
our, our men and women in uniform have died to protect our country, and that means our borders. And it's, it, and it's being defiled. Their service, their work, that can't be. We need to remember the sacrifice that they have made. I ask for your vote because I am going to fight for our freedom. I'm, this is personal with me. This battle is personal with me. I am not a politician. And I am going to represent our district. This is the, the, the Bible Belt, and I will honor God in what I'm doing. And I thank you. Your name, I mean, your website, your email address, some of the contact information. If somebody out there wants to help Barbara, how can they do it? Thank you, Ken. Barbara Arthur at BarbaraArthurForCongress.com. And my phone number is 843-621-3003. Okay, thank you, and good luck. Thank you so much. We'll take thank a break. You. We'll be back in just a few moments. 843-661-0937 is our number. So your take on Barbara Arthur spending a, uh, an hour with us, and then I'll get our esteemed professors, because they're going to call one another esteemed. I might as well do it as well. Uh, <laughs> one rocking a live uh, 95 t-shirt, takes oh, Mondays there. to make Fridays. The other nice. in Buffalo Bills attire. So it must be summer out at Francis Marion University. But your take, Rev. So that was Rev the- rocking the polo. Oh, yeah, He's an elitist that. establishment <laughs> Republican rocking the polo. <laughs> right. So that was her- third or fourth visit with us but it was the first extensive that we weren't really you know trying to rush things along and i've said this about every time she's come on with us she creates a response among listeners i remember the first time when she kind of introduced herself to our listeners we got calls on the listener line we got a lot of posts on our social media and even calls to the business line the business office saying who was that i really like her i need to find out more information and that's pretty rare when you gin up that type of extra enthusiasm as was proven again by the callers that called in and, and went on the air with her during the segment so you know i think she's made an impact on this race no doubt about it um and with some of the polling that we talked about last week that uh, from trafalgar uh, that uh, that robert released on the show a few weeks ago um she has obviously made an impact with voters. No doubt so about congratulations it. Congratulations. You know, I wanna, I'll, I'll prove to you i'm not working and she's a nice lady too she's a very nice me. lady very committed very dedicated very passionate very authentic uh, to what she believes in. And people will be rewarded in today's political climate for saying things they believe in. You may find them to be out of the mainstream. You may find a little bit kooky. Um, I'm not saying they are. But in today's political climate, you can say things if you sincerely mean it and be rewarded as a result of. Now, I'm going to show you and demonstrate to you. I don't work for corporate media and never will. I'm going to take you behind the scenes a little bit. Mm -hmm. Men like voting for an aggressive female. I mean, when you really get in the belly of the beast of American politics, men like voting for women that they believe are aggressive. I have no idea why, but there's a lot of science and there's some research behind this. I'll tell you another story. Women don't like voting for a woman if she's beautiful. Mm. Hmm. Mm. You can't say that on CNN. You can't say that on Fox. <laughs> But women don't like voting for women who are stunningly beautiful. They'll vote for a pretty woman. But if she's stunning or beautiful, that there's some, you call it jealousy, could call it, you know, um, kind of the, um, the estrogen complex. I don't know. Um, but there, there, there's some um, subtleties of American politics. But there's research that oh, shows there, there, There's a, a, a bunch of research. Um, I can hear a woman. I can see a woman right now. I mean, we have female listeners. We, we've done well with female listeners. Not all are groupies, but most are. But, um, <laughs> but I can see our female listeners right now kind of like, 
He's right. <laughs> I'll, I'll vote for a um, an attractive woman. I ain't voting for no drop dead gorgeous woman. No, no, no. That there's just a I don't know. It's a um, it's a competition. It's a compulse. It's a um, it's an inner quality or not such a quality. Uh, but but men like voting for aggressive women. Women will not vote for a stunningly gorgeous and beautiful female. Um, that's just the nature of politics. And some of this is um is tried and true. Once again, um, nobody comes out on fox news or cnn and says hey we did this research you know women don't vote for other beautiful women i mean but behind the scenes a lot of that is um is known and noteworthy um dr coppin i'll start with you here dr coppin and dr bolt both are back welcome in the fold back. here Thank welcome you. back to Too both long. of you uh we missed you not really but uh we, we, <laughs> good to have you back here as we yeah. do our community service hey, i'm wearing the pete i'm you, wearing you are you are but you're yeah, still a part of higher ed but you're still a part of higher ed you can't wear enough uh wake up pd garb to, <laughs> but, so we appreciate you representing that's very but, good but no i mean you, you you're somewhat of a student both of you guys are uh being academics and historians um i mean the history's full of political campaigns that prove certain points or not um what, what do you make of those two um research based analysis well you know what you were talking about kind of reminded me of something i've, I've written on rosalind carter a uh, former first lady and it was very interesting when she would be involved in issues that were political the media had a di- very difficult time trying to decide do we put her in the section a with the main news stories or do we put her in the style section and oftentimes, and also they would oftentimes focus on not what she talked about, but what she was wearing. How did she look? And, and so I think what you're pointing to is something that maybe should suggest a continuance of that. With, with, a, with a, a male candidate, what did he have to say? With a female candidate, I think we're getting more and more to that point of, yes, we want to hear what she has to say. But have we gotten entirely away from the idea of we also want to know what she was wearing or what her hair looked like? Um, and that's unfortunate. It really is. And it's, but, but we're better. I mean, there, there's no doubt about that. The substance is beginning to matter more. But in corporate boardrooms and political campaigns, I mean, it, it's kind of a sexist world, Dr. Bolt. I mean, it really is. I mean, d- despite our uh, believing that everything is level and everything is the same, that's just that's hogwash, as we say in the country, uh, not real uh, in truth. Could have said something else, but yeah. Yeah, I could. We're on satellite radio. I would have said BS, but we're not, so I did. I was going to go there, but yeah, caught myself (laughs) at the end. No, I think it's it's, it's an excellent point. And you think of sort of like uh, the uh, aggressive women in politics. You think of Sarah Palin in 2008 sort of helped a a sagging campaign with McCain. Maybe in the end, right, once it's sort of there was that there, there wasn't much substance there. It was a good narrative, good story. Didn't work out for her. And you look at another aggressive woman, dare we say Hillary Clinton, who was in charge of health care reform under her husband, Bill Clinton, early on, nearly torpedoed and took down the Clinton administration right out of the gate because a lot of people were like, well, why is the president's wife uh, so involved? Now, again, that's 1993-94. But again, it's, it's, it's a, a good point of right how far we've evolved in politics. Let's go to the seventh race. I mean, Barbara Arthur was here, spent an hour. Uh, your take on her and um, her comments about her candidacy, her campaign. Well, I mean, let me just say in general, um, I'm listening to her. I can there there is. I'll use your word authenticity there. I mean, I heard and and she may disagree with me on this. I heard a shaking in her voice. I didn't take that as nervousness. I took that as she deeply, deeply believes what it is that she is saying. The emotion comes through, and whether you agree with her or not, um, there is clearly. I am saying what I believe. Period. 
that that came through to me. And Dr. Bolt, your analysis? I think she's sort of a the quintessential dark horse, someone who's under the radar. Once people get to when they see and hear her, it's it's a message that resonates. And she had a a vocal contingent at the the recent debate, mm-hmm. which was actually moderated. I might add. Uh, <laughs> By your esteemed colleagues. No, it was, it was a, a great number. And certain, again, she's somebody who's maybe she'd gotten in sooner or if this, if we weren't voting next week, <clears throat> if we were maybe if the primary was later in this state, August, September, if she had more time, but when the dust settles, she's probably not going to make it to the runoff, but she's going to find herself in the position of Kingmaker with a sizable chunk, a decent percentage. All right, who is it? Is it Richardson, Fry? And who's ever the last man standing to take on Rice? It's like, all right, you know, what can you, what can you do for me? And I can release, I can put you over the top, possibly. Yeah. So she, she, I would imagine she, state house, local politics. She has a bright future. I agree with that. Way. And if she's going to play the game, then um, there will be people influencing her, trying to convince her, hey, you mm-hmm. need to do this or you need to do to do that. I don't, I don't know that endorsements matter. I mean, I've never believed, but but she, in, in today's world, someone who has a garnered somewhat of a following, uh, a big enough following to have something to yeah. barter on behalf of, it is going to be very interesting. I want to say with this race, Dr. Kaufman, and get your take. I mean, we're one week away from the first race in America that includes a Trump endorsement and an incumbent who voted to impeach Donald Trump. I'm on the record. I want to get both of you guys on the record. Um, I don't see any way Rice wins. I mean, I've looked at the math. I've, I've crunched some numbers. Um, yes, there's talk of crossover voting, you know, Democrats becoming uh, bigger and bigger players in uh, the Republican primary. Okay, let's say some of that happens. I still don't think you get away from that impeachment vote. And once again, this is not as much about Rice and Fry and Arthur as it is um, an incumbent choosing to impeach a president of the same party. I agree. Um uh, I have not looked at the poll numbers. I've, I tried to find some polling information. Well, let me give you that. Okay, this is um, this is about one week old. Mm-hmm. Uh, Trafalgar broke the news on our show. Fry forty two point two, Rice twenty four point nine, um, undecided. Excuse me, Arthur nine point eight, McBride one point five, Richardson nine point six, Barton two point nine, Mars two point one, undecideds are at seven percent. So forty two two Fry. 24-9 Rice, 9-8 Arthur, 9-6 Richardson. Yeah, I, again, I just don't see the—I'm with you. I don't see the math working out for Rice. And, and again, going back to the to the debate, I mean, when, when you brought up the question about the impeachment, you could—I mean, the anger at Rice was palpable. People are very, very mad at him. And I think there are a lot of people out there who say, you know what, I don't know— I don't care about Rice's position on this. I don't care about Rice's position on this. But the fact that he opposed the opposes uh, Trump, uh, I'm sorry, opposes Rice trying to get Trump kicked out of office or the board of impeachment, and the fact that um, uh, Rice is not backing down in that position, I'll vote for Fry. And he, plus, he's endorsed by Trump. I'm going to vote for that guy. But there's no doubt it was the dominant feature in that debate hall. I mean, in the venue, the Performing Arts Center, Francis Marion, I mean, it it was obvious that the other questions were secondary. (laughs) Let's watch the candidates deal with that impeachment vote. Dr. Bolt. Right before we came on the air, somebody in the audience shouted out, Tom Rice is a traitor. I mean, sort of set the the agenda. And you Mm -hmm. can read the, and the opening question, it was the elephant in the room. And certainly everybody expected it. You got it out of the way right away. 
But yeah, that, that number 24, if, if maybe Rice was 35, 40%, maybe you could say, all right, there's a puncher's chance, enough Democrats cross over, you get a mass power outage at the beach on a, on election. Stranger things have happened <laughs> sure. in but, politics, right? But And, and nobody believes that, that um, Fry ends up with 42.2 and Rice ends up with 24.9. Right. I mean, polls are scientific, but they're not exact. Not there's exact. a 4.5% margin of error. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think Rice can get to 40. I mean, I think if, there's if a chance end, of him getting yeah. to 40, uh, but, but for getting from 40 to 50 is like a golfer trying to get from 80 to 70. Exactly. And I then mean, he's it's the last it. few he's shots. Gotta survive. He's got to survive two rounds Correct. to continue. So maybe he can pull the rabbit out of his hat. He gets to the runoff, and as long as Fry doesn't burn a bunch of bridges behind him and alienate the supporters of Richardson, uh, Barbara Arthur, and some of the other candidates, they should probably, they'll probably hold their nose and say, I can't. They're going to remember what 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 Rice did. I mean, yeah. there's there's one vote that's going to cost him a seat. And if I were Rice, I would excuse me. If I were uh, Russell Fry, I'd be cutting everybody's grass. Right. I'd, I'd cut yeah. Garrett Barton. I'd wash Barb Arthur's car. Sure. I'd clean, you know, uh, Spencer yep. Morris's home. I would be making friends for these rivals because them. in some of these hotly contested campaigns, um, feelings get hurt. You have splintered fields, and the next thing you know, there's a consolidation or attempt to consolidate, and it gets rocky. I mean, it gets, yeah, because people are people. People are human beings. They have emotions. Um, They don't forgive and forget easily, and uh, and you're competing for that same exact uh, space. Do we have a call? Let's go to the phone. We do. Verd is on the line. Hey, Verd. Good morning. How y'all doing? Hey, Verd. How are you? I'm doing fine. Out on the Republican trail today and uh, trying to get uh, voters to vote early and uh, working on absentees that we need to finish up on. And things looking good in Marlboro County. I'm very encouraged to hear from uh, several different people that it looks like we're voting more Republicans than ever. And that's very encouraging. So the next four days, we want to see what we can uh, do to turn the wick up on that and and get those numbers even better. So things look good. Uh, Like I said, a seventh district race. uh, I think it's... uh, where it's been the whole time. I think it's uh, uh, the top two, Rice and uh, Russell Fly, and I think that all the other counts have done a great job. I just don't think they can get up to the plateau that Russell and them are at, and, and of course, Congressman Rice, but I just feel uh, good that, uh, you know, Russell's worked hard, and he's got a strong contingent behind him, got big crowds everywhere he goes, and uh, like I said, I think it's going to come down to those two, and uh, hopefully the other candidates will... Uh, Choose, uh, choose the side that uh, is best for the 7th District. Well, explain. Thank you, Verd. Appreciate all the work you do. One of the foot soldiers in our district, uh, in the 7th Congressional District, Republican uh, kind of worker bees is Verd, who holds office and deeply involved in, in Republican politics in a place that it isn't real popular to be a Republican. I respect that. I mean, I really do. Um, in a weird sort of way, I have sympathy for Democrats in South Carolina. I mean, I, and I mean that sincerely because I think the state is better governed when we have competing parties, when we have legitimately competing ideas, and we have a party that threatens to win statewide elections occasionally. Um, I don't want too many Democrats winning, but one every now and then uh, wouldn't, wouldn't be bad. Let's go to the phone, and, uh, and then we'll go back to the professors, unless we do have a call. We do. Okay. Jim in Florence. Hello, Jim. Hey, good morning, guys. So let's not forget that uh, that uh, Tom Rice got – into the seat because he beat uh, who was it Andre? He met, so Tom made it through the runoff by coming in second, then beat Andre in the runoff. Um, I, you know, obviously this is a completely different race this go around, but Tom's won in this fashion uh, by coming in second place the first time. And, and then when we talk about the crossover vote with Democrats, if we look at the seventh congressional district, 
which is much different than the first congressional district where you could have some crossover votes because there's no uh, there's no Democratic primary down there. A lot of those Democrats are white, whereas in the seventh congressional district, a lot of our Democrats are black. And I just see I don't see them crossing over for this race when they have an opportunity to vote for me. Is it Mia McLeod, I believe, um, who could be the first um, black female uh, candidate for governor? I just don't see them abandoning her to vote for Tom. So thank you. Thank you, Jim. I'm going to teach you a little trick in dirty politics. You ready? (laughs) If I were running Save America and I were interested in the Trump endorsed Russell Fry, you know what I'd do? I would spend money on Mia McLeod. I would drop a mailer. I would run some ads in this district, um, basically convincing African-American Democrats, you can't take a pass. I mean, there's no way you can cross over and help a Republican get elected when you've got a chance to elect an African-American female as the Republican, excuse me, the Democrat nominee. I would spend as much money in the next week in places that Democrats frequent on behalf of Mia McLeod, as I would for the Trump-endorsed candidate. I think that math is done. I think that goose is cooked. I think we're heading to a runoff between Rice and Fry. I would convince Democrats, you can't do that. You can't vote in that primary when there's an African-American female. Call that dirty politics. I call it winning. We've seen that happen in other cases as well. Richard Nixon was known for doing stuff like that. You beat me to it. So, yeah, I, I... I would absolutely see, I could see somebody doing that, absolutely. And uh, Save America's got 130 or $40 million. What, what's a half million bucks, you know, spent <laughs> in this district to make sure Trump gets what, what Trump wants? Um, Nixon was brought up. Oh, absolutely not. That was the, the, Nixon, the Nixon playbook. Nothing is, uh, is out of bounds. And so right somewhere Richard Nixon, when he heard that comment from him, was, was smiling. So <laughs> not sure if, if that's a comp, if it's a comp. But in terms of political operatives and just... Knowing how to get the ball across the finish line, there are few who are better than Richard Milhouse Nixon. Rev, what have I consistently said about campaigns? It boils down to the math. Mm-hmm. I mean, yep. it always yeah. comes down to the math. You got ideas and ideologies and agendas and platforms and consultants and strategists and candidates, but at the end of the day, it's math. I mean, it always comes down to who gets the most votes, legitimately or not. <laughs> Take a break. We'll be back. <laughs> we'll be back in just a minute. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. I want to go here one second. I want to get our professor's take on this. Dr. Scott Kaufman uh, back from World Travel, and Dr. Will Bolt back from uh, just crying about his Buffalo Bills. I mean, have they done anything in the off season? Has the Bills? I mean, have they made any sorts of moves? Von Miller. Okay, I mean, yeah, that's a pretty a, big off season. Going to harass Patrick Holmes. So yeah. We're, has we're the coming. Chiefs? Have the Chiefs done anything? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, well, we got Juju. Uh, what's his name? Juju Schuster. Yeah. I can't be that good yeah. if you can't you remember can't his, say name. his name. Yeah. He's saying his big name. <laughs> Well, but we okay. Can, we, okay. Someone we called. Someone called him and had a couple of texts um, arguing that the poll is without merit. That is a push poll. It's a paid poll. Every poll that has ever been done is paid for by someone. Pollsters aren't in the uh, not-for-profit business. Pollsters are paid to basically give you an analysis of where they perceive the race to be. I understand that people have lost faith in polling. Um, and the Trafalgar poll, I think, reflects the genuine sentiment of the Republican base as well as any pollster in America today. I'm not saying they're perfect. They're, they're certainly not perfect. They would tell you they're not perfect. They missed Atlanta by 16 percentage points in the gubernatorial race because 180,000 Republicans, excuse me, Democrats voted uh, for Brian Kemp to punish Trump's endorsing of uh, David Perdue. So, I mean, of course, polls aren't exactly right. But I want to tell you something about polling. 
Uh, when I ran my campaigns, I based every single expenditure I made on what the poll said. J.D. Vance just spent about $3.5 million, uh, maybe $5 million, based on what Trafalgar's polling said. In fact, uh, post-mortem, Vance gave Trafalgar a shout-out. I mean, you, you told me that. I mean, in, in, his, um, in his tweet that he sent out after the night of the election, J.D. Vance said, thanks to Trafalgar for providing accurate analysis so we could make um, you know, purchases and TV buys and all these other sorts of things. Polling is an inexact science, but it's the best we've got. And I think the Trump element, Dr. Kopp, and I'll start with you here, um, the hidden Trump voter. We, we've discussed that extensively for three or four years over the airwaves. Um, the, the hidden Trump voter appears to be a little more liberated now and will ah, more openly admit their support of the former president. Yeah, I think there's two points to be made here. One is that I think the pollsters learned a lot from 2016. Um, I mean, all those polls which had Trump losing, except for that USC poll, that tracking mm-hmm. poll, I think the pollsters learned a lot from that, and they're applying those lessons now to these more recent polls. But yeah, I mean, I think we're, we're going to see those those Trumpsters saying, the way the nation is going right now, the fact that there are so many people who are angry with the current administration, the fact that Biden's numbers are actually lower than Trump's were at this point in Trump's administration gives them all the more reason to say, you know what, I am going to say I am a Trumpster and I don't have to worry about anybody coming after me about it because there are so many people out there who share the same view I do that this country is going the wrong direction. And you've also got to blame the Democrats. They are doing a terrible job when it comes to messaging, when it comes to coming together and figuring out how to solve these problems. And unless they can unless they can find a message that resonates with the American people, which I don't think they're going to be able to do. You add that to these economic troubles, they're going to get, well, I, I, I'd be careful what I say here. They're going to get their, you know, what's handed to them. They're going to get their you know, ass handed to yes. them is what you want to say, yes. but you're an academic. I'm not. So I can say some of those um, <laughs> so some of those um, shady words over the airways. Uh, so, so he's talking about this Trump, because I want to get back to Democrats in a second, but he's talking about the hidden Trump voter. Yeah. They're, they're not so shower bashful right. any longer. I think you go back 2015, 2016, and when it was just sort of the Trump movement, Make America Great, was in its genesis, you're country club Republicans, corporate guys, white-collar Republicans were would hedge, like, you know, maybe privately at the dinner table. You know, I, I like this guy, but uh, at the water fountain, you know, on the putting on the greens with the other guys, no, 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 can't, can't, can't have this guy. And now, right, it's become, dare we say, more acceptable. You don't, you don't have to hedge. You don't have to shy. You can, you can put that Make America Great bumper sticker on the back of your BMW, your fancy luxury car, and not have to worry about getting mocked. It's, it's amazing what $5 a gallon gasoline yeah, will, right. can, will allow people to say. Okay, you talked about getting slaughtered in the midterms. I'm going to give you a little bit of encouraging information, and I'm no friend of the Democrats. Don't mistake me for a friend <laughs> to the Democrats. Jeez. But in 1994, the GOP picked up 54 seats, but they started with 174. In 2010, they picked up 64 seats, but they started with 178. They're 213 today. There's never been more than 247 Republicans in the House of Representatives. That means 34 pickups will give them as many Republicans as there's ever been in the House of Representatives. We're not going to have a 50-seat swing or a 60-seat swing because we're not starting at such a deficit. You say what to that, Dr. Kaufman? Well, I mean, we can throw in gerrymandering as an impact upon a lot of these polls. 
Um, and we don't have, I'm not seeing, for instance, Watergate, which saw a huge number of Democrats enter, enter the House representatives. I mean, they had 291 members, Democrats in the House after the midterms in, 1970, in 1974. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, I don't see that happening, but it doesn't have to be a huge number. And it's, it, again, when I say the Democrats are going to get their, you know, what's handed to them, it's going to be enough that I, that I think, Demo, that well, I don't think, I'm, I'm positive that Republicans are going to capture the, the House and I think they have a very good chance of capturing the Senate. Um, the, there was a poll that recently was at, recently asked about gas prices. The majority of Americans, I mean, overwhelming majority of Americans, said that gas prices were going to be the reason, the the reason why they voted the way they did, or was going to be a very strong reason why they voted the way they did. So, if gas prices are having that kind of impact, and they're continuing to go up, and they're having the kind of impact they are on the economy. Which, yes, I know unem- the, the jobs report was really good. Yes, I know unemployment is low. But the fact is Americans are not feeling confident overall about the economy. They do not see this administration leading the country very well. There's poor messaging, well, actually little messaging coming out of the White House. Just even a few votes is going to be enough for Republicans. And I think they're going to do – I think they're going to get 20 or 30. So uh, do, do they get to 247, which is the most they've ever had? Do they pick up 34 seats? Well, again, with the gerrymandering, I have to look more closely at it. But I think they're going to they're going to come close. It'll to be, it it'll the very, be very close to that yeah. number, Doctor Bolt. Your your analysis. There's a, a Lincoln quote, and it's after the first battle of Bull Run, as Union troops are running through the streets of Washington. A friend of President Lincoln asked him what happened, and Lincoln said, "It's bad. It's gosh darn bad. I, I cleaned it up." And I, I, if I were in Vegas, I'd bet the over. I think you're it's you're looking at something. There's a lot of angry people out there. A lot of buyers' remorse with Biden and the Democrats. Gas, if you're a mother, father with a, a young child and weren't able to get formula, you, you're going to remember something like that. It's going to take a long time. Yeah. And so suddenly Trump, the Republicans, don't look that bad anymore. Just look at how messed up. And so, yeah, you're, you're going to have a huge, huge majority of Republicans in the House. The Senate's a completely different animal. And so you're probably just going to be have two more years of gridlock in Washington, a closely divided Senate, even if the Republicans have the majority, the filibuster is still going to be in place. So again, you're, you're not going to get anything. Biden's not going to move on tapping into oil reserves or anything like that. So unfortunately, this this could we're looking at another malaise, just another sort of lost period in American history until we can kind of maybe break the log jam in, in two more years with the presidential election. But I, I think it's going to be bad. The, Cop, the, the, the only advantage the Democrats have in the Senate is the Republicans are playing more defense. Uh, the retirements, you got Ohio and Dr. Oz, you've got um, uh, Kansas, not Kansas, uh, Missouri. Mm-hmm. You've got a retirement. You've got a retirement in North Carolina. Right. You've, um, to me, Georgia is going to be the, uh, the Herschel Walker race mm-hmm. will really demonstrate how big a red wave there is. If a college football player slash legend can unseat an incumbent, and in a state that Stacey Abrams and America seems to be so motivated on behalf of, that's kind of the bellwether to me as to what sort of year we're having. But but the the only reason to be optimistic for a Democrat is this is the odd year where the Republicans are defending a lot more turf than the Democrats in the Senate. Right. And I agree with that. And we could also look at what impact might, for instance, issues like gun control, abortion have on those races. And that's why I say I think the, the Republicans have a good chance of capturing the Senate. I'm not saying it's definite. But again, with the, with 
the economy the way it is with these gas prices the way they are, with Americans looking at their wallets and asking themselves, do I have a choice? I have to make a decision between gasoline or food. Um, as Dr. Bolt pointed out, this issue with, with baby formula, um, though, those are bread and butter issues. Uh, that's what's going to resonate with the American people. And that could be enough to give Republicans the boost they need to capture the Senate. Well, I want to stay here one second. Got to take a break in just a minute. Um, Senator John Cornyn of Texas said yesterday that he believes there are 60 votes to pass some sort of gun legislation. What do you imagine that gun legislation looks like in relation to um, thou shall not be infringed upon uh, the Second Amendment? Well, first of all, there are also talks about well-regulated militia. But anyways, but well-regulated is important words there. Um, in any case, I think we're going to see, I think we'll see more money for school, protecting schools, more money to go toward mental health issues, potentially red flag. But I don't think we're going to see, for instance, raising the 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 age you have to be to be able to get um, a weapon. Uh, even some senior Republicans have said they're going to fight against that. Do the Democrats support a bill that addresses hardening some of the soft targets at schools, but not increasing the red flag legislation? Is that something the Democrats, I mean, they've got their interest as well. I mean, mm-hmm. I know the NRA and gun rights lobbyists and all that, but, but I mean, a Democrat that votes for legislation that hardens the soft target, but doesn't do anything about raising the gauge or the red flag realities. How do you see that working out? Well, I guess the question is, do Democrats want something or they want nothing? And I think that given the the Senate, the makeover of the Senate, that Democrats are going to have to accept, you know, half a loaf rather than than nothing. Uh, I think they're going to they're going to have no choice but to compromise on those issues. OK, Dr. So took the word, the old FDR line on half a loaf is better than no loaf. Again, the political climate. Democrats got to get something, even if it's just watered down. They got to get something across the finish line. Got to have something to hang their hat on uh, when they go back to their districts and their states moving forward, or else it's it's just, it's going to be it's already like I said it's going to be really bad. This maybe just dilutes it a little bit. And but. I think Pat Toomey of Pennsylvania, who will be replaced by Dr. Oz, I'm going to imagine that Dr. Oz is going to be the <laughs> in, in the U.S. Senate, but he says that expanding some of the um some of the background checks, some of the red flag issues are on the table. But but I, I just don't see many Republicans going there, and I worry that the Democrats are going to say, okay, we're not doing uh, we're not doing the um, increasing security at campuses if we don't get some sort of um, payback in regards to um, red flags or raising the uh, the age. We'll see how that works out. Thanks to both of you. Thank you. Good to Thank see you, you again. Good we'll take you. a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. We'll take a break from the nonsense of you know American politics and campaign season to do some good. Um, we've always tried to make room, uh, make available some time for people who are dedicated to helping make the communities of which we broadcast in better. Andrew Perry is with us. Andrew is uh, with the PD, uh, the PD Fraternal Order of the Police. Am I right there, sir? That is. I'm okay. the president w- there. W- welcome to you. How are you? I appreciate it. I'm doing good. We're talking about um, Quest for a Million Pennies fundraiser. As part of the fundraiser, we're having a uh, first-ever benefit golf tournament. What exactly do we hope to accomplish in our quest for a million pennies? And and we'll get to the point of when we um, invite our listeners to be a part of the golf tournament and helping you. But why are we trying to raise a million pennies? All right. So a couple of years ago, we, we had an idea that came about from the uh, radio station here for the community broadcasters, along with Florence Toyota, uh, to do something for the local law enforcement. Um, and this is one of the ideas that came and approached me about, and we thought it was a great idea one million pennies. Um, 
which is a lot of money, but that money goes into a lot of different things throughout our, our PD uh, area. One of those things is we, we like to uh, send our officers, obviously, to the training that they may not be able to get from the uh, their departments. Uh, a lot of times the budgets are, are tight, uh, and we understand that. So this is one way we could do that. The other things we do with that money is uh, we, we will help out our community. Even though we're not uh, in uniform at the time, we still have a serving heart. And one of our things that we do is we do a shop with a cop during Christmas time. Uh, where we take uh, different kids out there that's a little less fortunate, and we have them have that interaction with a with an officer, and uh, just go out there and have a great time uh, shopping with that with that officer for Christmas time. Uh, then the other things we do, we do a backpack uh, uh, deal with the the kids right before school. We do uh, wheelchair ramps throughout our community for those uh, that may have some uh, mobility impairments and all that. So we do a bunch of different things, and this money would uh, go and help us succeed on those uh, those quests. Okay, Quest for a Million Pennies fundraiser is also going to have a benefit golf tournament Thursday, June 23rd. How can someone who likes playing golf, enjoys this time of the year, how can they participate, not just in a golf tournament, but a golf tournament to aid and assist uh, the Fraternal Order of Police? So a couple of things. We, we're looking for teams right now. We have a few more spots available. They can go to the questforpennies.com, and that will give them all the information uh, and get their application rolling. Uh, th- again, that's going to be on the 23rd of, of June at uh, Country Club of South Carolina. It's got a 1 p.m. start time. That's a captain's choice. The other thing we're looking for is uh, hole sponsors. We still have room for hole sponsors. Uh, so a business or something can do that uh, as a hole sponsor for one- only $100 to get their brand out there per hole. And, uh, you know, that means that every golfer that comes by there is going to see their name out there and show that that they do support our men and women in blue in our area. Well, I mean, and that's where I was headed. I mean, it seems to me corporate media has made their mind up. The police are the bad guys. They're the problems. Mm-hmm. I'm proud to be a part of a media company that perceives you guys to be positive and 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 of good asset to our community. Um, does it wear on you to hear some of the national narrative and the way law enforcement is portrayed? Well, it it would if I allowed it. I don't allow it to. Um, I know what our our area has to offer. I know our citizens are some of the best in the nation. Uh, my organization, we cover uh, right now seven uh, counties throughout the PD region. Have about 450 officers. That's a, a, a group of them that's in the membership. Uh, and I know that uh, that our citizens uh, do not don't fall prey to what the media says nationally about what what goes on. We we have a, a good working relationship with our uh, our citizens and uh, again with our other businesses around here we uh, actually have a good relationship with them so I don't allow it I, I look for the high road and we we go with that okay let's um let's go back real quick and tell people how they can be uh, a part of the golf tournament they're a sponsor uh, a fourteen uh, quest for I mean the, the, the website the golf tournament let, let's make sure we with clarity explain to our listeners how they can be a part of it all right so if you want to do the uh, the million uh, penny quest and give the, spa- the the spare change that you may have, there's different locations that you can go and drop those off. Uh, but also, if you go onto the website there of the questforpennies.com, it'll have on there uh, the the application for your team membership as well as if you're a business uh, and want to be a part of the uh, sponsorship there as a whole sponsor, it'll have that application on there as well. And you can... Uh, download that, send it in, 
or uh, if you have any any questions, you can give me a call, and I can provide that number for you. And that your number is? 843-307-4668. And that is Thursday, June 23rd, the Country Club of South Carolina, with a shotgun start at 1 p.m. That's right. It's okay. going to be a captain's choice uh, format. Okay. Appreciate all you do. Thank you. Uh, and and any time we can help, aid, and assist, you about to jump in here to say something. Well, I just want to mention the drop-off location, so if you do want to you know, help with the quest for the million pennies or any loose change you have. We have uh, drop-off locations at Florence Toyota, West Palmetto Street in Florence, also Piggly Wiggly in Darlington on Pearl Street, Cool Works on West Palmetto in Florence, and right here at the Community Broadcasters Radio Station, Walker Swinton Road uh, near Forest Lake in Florence. I, I got a better idea. Play in the golf tournament and contribute your loose change. Better idea um, for let, sure. Let's double whammy and support these local law enforcement because I just I do this for a living, guys. And some of the negativity out there in national media about law enforcement, it's just discouraging. I mean, it's bothersome, it's troubling to know these people out here are risking their lives in the name of keeping us safe. And the national media treats them as almost if they're the perpetrators of the crime. I, I appreciate you blocking it out and not allowing it, but it aggravates the, the mess out of me. I'll be about as country as I can be. <laughs> I mean, it gets me all worked up uh, on behalf of you guys. So thank you for what you do. Well, thank you for your support. Uh, absolutely. We'll take a break. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes. 843-661-0937 is our number. We've spent a great deal of the morning today talking about the 7th Congressional District, the Republican primary that includes a Trump-endorsed candidate, an impeachment vote of Donald Trump. Uh, there, there's kind of an interesting dichotomy within all of the um, uh, the typical political shenanigans that go along with a crowded field. Barbara Arthur was with us, with us in the 8 o'clock hour, excuse me, the 7 o'clock hour, and I thought acquitted herself well. Um, explained her stances, came across as very authentic and real. We're not paying a lot of attention to the 6th Congressional District, but we broadcast extensively in that district by being in Orangeburg and Sumter. We have with us this morning Sonia Morris, who is a candidate for the 6th Congressional District of South Carolina. Ms. Morris, good morning. How are you? Good morning. How are you, Ken and Dave? Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you for being on. Before we get to some of the um, questions I have, Please tell us a little bit about who you are and, uh, and, and what motivated you to be a candidate for the Congressional District, uh, of the 6th Congressional District, which Jim Clyburn has been a long-term incumbent. Exactly. He has been in there for about 30 years. Uh, I actually have been um, trained in the area of law and policy for a long, long time, but I've spent my over 30 years doing being a regular person and i am uh, feeling and sense a call to help my country because my country is in trouble we have um our freedoms are um being worn away our freedoms are uh, under attack our very constitution and constitutional republic is under attack and so um just to tell you a little bit about my past i i'm I have a law degree in um, I have a law degree from Regent University, which you know is a very um, conservative uh, institution. I also have a, a master's in public policy from there, but I did not go directly, and that was from two decades ago. I did not go directly in uh, up to the hill in, um, in in the Capitol where m many of my colleagues did. I didn't feel called to do that. I have been ten years working in IT. Uh, um, Six years working in legal area, as well as I've also have been a financial advisor. And most of my time I've actually spent in education, as, whether I was a administrator or um, most of the time I have spent being an instructor. And interestingly enough, I spent um, about a year 
in China teaching business at a university there, but I went there as a missionary. So that was my, my primary call there was to be a missionary, but I enjoyed and found my niche for teaching and really loving to see um, what education can do for people. And in China, it's very, very important. Education is very important. So my heart is really to see our educational systems be um, focused on really teaching the children and educating them rather than indoctrinating them. So I, um, and about almost three decades ago, I experienced a massive stroke. So I have to relearn how to walk and talk and read and write at 30 years old. And at that time, um, I had worked for IBM for about 10 years, but I had taken a buyout to go back to school and my medical had run out. And so I had to depend on the federal government and Medicaid to pay for what I call my million dollar head. So at that time, I remember not wanting to owe the federal government or the government anything. So I made a vow to God that if ever my country needed me, I would step up to the plate. And I believe I got that tap on the shoulder last year to help because I see what's been going on. Having lived in communist China, and I see not only um, have we started to um, embrace so much of communism, I believe we're well into that um, that system of government. And that's why our constitution, we need to get back a hold of our constitution and get our freedoms back. And during COVID, it seemed that that was the opportunity that the government used to start to encroach on our freedoms, which are very much under attack today. So we have a nation to save. And I've been called to help with that, with the, my education and experience. And I believe because of my wide, wide travel and education experience, I'm better better um, position to represent the 6th District of South Carolina. So I, I do have a very wide scope, but it better equips me to have a narrow view and a narrow focus to help this particular district, which is the poorest in the state. It's called the Corridor of Shame. And we have so many people who have seen, seem to have lost hope. And I do believe that I'm as a comeback kid because I was able to come back from what I experienced. They said I was going to spend the rest of my life in a vegetative state in a state facility, but God had a different plan. And the plan is to help this country at this point. Why do you think Congressman Clyburn has continued to be reelected by such large margins when the district has struggled socioeconomically? So I have um, been, I've ridden the bus and I see a lot of African-Americans come on the bus and people have lost hope. And I spoke to one man and he told me about 90% of African-Americans don't vote. I mean, I don't know if that's an accurate figure, but if it's even remotely representative, people have lost, they've lost hope and they don't get involved in the, in the political process. And when people come to me and, and I, I start, talk to people and they say, well, I'm not interested in politics, I'm said, well, do you live in a country? Oh, yes, I live in a country. Do you live under the, that country's laws? Uh, yes, I do live under those countries' laws. That, that's an, a ridiculous question. So I said, you need to be part of the political process because you are being affected by what goes on in Washington, D.C. and Washington, D.C. and the state, you know, in um, Columbia. So, um Everybody needs to be involved, but everybody, I think after a while, when they see someone being elected over and over and over again, regardless of what they're doing, they lose interest. And so what we need to do is get people out to vote. And I just want to tell people to get out to vote. Vote on June 14th. Vote for me. I want to be your voice in Washington, D.C. And so um, I ask you to vote for me. Go to www 
soniamorrisforcongress.com and see um, you know what I'm what I stand for. I have some articles on the website right now and, and their position articles. And so yeah, I just really want to be people's voice. I believe I've been equipped for that, having worked in so many different areas uh, and not just in one area. I didn't stay in one area. I do hail, uh, I was raised in Connecticut, but that is not where I have chosen to settle. This is where I've met some of the most amazing people in South Carolina. So I want to be their voice in Washington, D.C. You're a black female. Um, the one place Republicans have struggled to gain influence yes. and, and, and create some sort of um, synergies or working relationship is with black females um how do you hope to improve that well the black community tends to and i hate to um you know to speak about us as uh, as if we're homogenous we're not homogenous and that's how the democrats tend to treat black you know black america and actually america and blacks in america i don't want to say black america because we're one america united states of america but i believe it's because the black black families are more maternal and I tend to be able, it's, it's very easy for a woman to cross, the, cross the, the, the gulf, so to speak, to connect with people. It's, it's very easy for me, for me to connect with people. And I don't know if it's because I'm a black female and the, the black community is more maternal. But, um, you know, I'm just a very genuine pe- person. I'm a, so the, the difference between myself and um, the incumbent is because I'm not a politician, and even my opponent, I'm not a politician with connections. I am a private person with conviction, and it's that conviction that brings me out of my private life to enter into this race. We wish you nothing but the best. Thank you for your time, and good luck. Thank you very much. God bless you guys, and God bless the 6th District in South Carolina and the United States. Thank you so much. Thank you. There's um, Sonia Morris. That's interesting. Two black females on consecutive days seeking political office as Republicans. We had a candidate for a superintendent of education yesterday, and now we have a sixth congressional Republican. I'm thinking of Carl. You know, Carl's trying to get all the Republicans to go over and vote in the in the Democrat primary to get Clyburn out of there. Here's a lady um, trying to get Republicans to support her. Um, it's just it's a, it's a tall hill to climb in the sixth congressional district. What, what has happened, um, what has happened was, um, the, the the elected officials in South Carolina made a deal. The Republicans have said to the Democrats, um, you take all the black vote, we'll take all the white vote. We'll make these district even more Republican. You can have these other districts that are as Democrat as you choose. And that's kind of the way uh, most of this is sorted out. Uh, I think it's counterproductive to good government. I think we end up with a lesser uh, a lesser effective government. But that's kind of the deal that the Republicans have made by and large with the Black Caucus in, I don't know about 2020 census, because I was not intimately close to that, but the 2010, I mean, I was kind of in the middle of some of the redistricting with uh, with 2020. I said, or, excuse me, 2010, I said earlier, I cast a tie-breaking vote uh, in the Senate to basically create the 7th Congressional District. Um, it's just kind of interesting, and I guess um, inspirational to hear African-American females run as Republicans in South Carolina, understanding uh, the hill they climb, you know, the... Um, the hard job that lies that lies ahead. I asked Rev this morning. Uh, Gavin Jackson from SCT is it SCETV? Mm-hmm. SCETV was with us this morning. Gavin uh, was formerly of the Florence Morning News, SCNow.com, I think. And uh, Gavin would come on the show on Fridays, and we would discuss, debate, disagree on whatever the political issue of the time was. 
Um, but we created, as we always do, these friendships that endure. And um, and if you're not talking politics, you find out you have a lot more in common than you don't. It's just when you kind of start unraveling the world of American politics that we have these passionate disagreements about. But Gavin was talking to me off the air. You were listening, Reb, a little bit about the um, the America First movement, um, the what is the agenda, what is the platform, where do we go from here? And it's always interesting to me when someone asks that, because if you ask that question, there's a degree of sincerity that is required. Um, is this just Trump? Well, I mean, a lot of people say that. They, they don't ask, is this just a, a kind of a one-man hissy fit? Uh, is this Donald Trump being Donald Trump? And once Trump's gone, we go back to normal. I've argued this is normal. I mean, this is the new normal. The American people have, um, I mean, they're not as awake as Barbara wishes they were. But I think the American people are beginning to completely understand how complicit the government has been in um, in basically rewarding people who garner political favor and punishing those who do not. Um, that's not the role of government. That's never been the role of government. The government's not there to pick winners and losers. The government's not there to advantage corporate America at the expense of the American worker. What the Republican Party has to kind of um, come to grips with is, is it going to be a pro-worker party or a pro-business party? Hmm, that's interesting. I'm a pro-business Republican. How many times have I said that to a potential voter? A million, two million. I'm a pro-business Republican. Now I've got to address how pro-business am I? How, is, is being pro-business the same as being cor- pro-corporate America? Um, do the Republicans have to understand that corporate America um, really increased corporate profits by disadvantaging the American worker? Um, I'm reading a book called, I actually read it, uh, I've read it all, but but I kind of sped read it or speed read it. There you go, speed read it uh, over the weekend, The Trap. And it's very interesting by a, uh, I think an English billionaire named James, Sir James uh, what what is his name, Ref? Because I sent you a video, uh, Sir. Oh, um, James Goldsmith. Yeah, for Sir game James Goldsmith, but but he goes back in the nineties and he talks about NAFTA and GATT and TPP. He doesn't talk about TPP because that's not law of the land yet. But I mean, he's being interviewed by David Frost. I want to do this. I mean, I know it's late in the day, and we may play it again tomorrow morning. Uh, we got Ken Richardson at what time tomorrow? Eight o'clock. Uh, eight o'clock. So in the eight o'clock hour, we'll have a couple of hours leading up to that. But, but I just I was digging around the weekend trying to figure out, you know, uh, what is this and what is that and what does this mean and what does that mean and um, what led to this and what led uh, to that. I found this book called The Trap, and it's so interesting and compelling to me. And I want to spend what uh, we got about 35 minutes left on the air today, and then we'll kind of go back into this uh, tomorrow because I think it's very important that we understand um, that Donald Trump just didn't show up drunk at a bar. I mean, sometimes he acts like a drunk at a bar, but he just didn't show up drunk at a bar one day. Donald Trump is a manifestation of a lot of underlying sentiments and 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 political policies that were enacted. And I'm talking about trade, China, immigration, largely. But um, but I want to do this after we we got a call. We'll take the call, then we'll take our break. I want to come back and play a little. Uh, I want to set it up first, and then play about nine minutes of an interview he did with David Frost back in about 1994 if I'm not mistaken. So circa 1994, a guy says things that, that really come to fruition 
in the year 20, uh, 2016. So you're talking about uh, 20, uh, 16, uh, 23, 24, 25 years, somewhere um, thereabout. Let's go to the phone, then we'll take our break. Joe in Hartsville. Hello, Joe. Yeah, good morning, guys. I love the conversation this morning, especially with Barbara. She's, she's, she's on top of it, but people keep talking about conspiracy theories. At what point do we say it's no longer a conspiracy theory? They say, well, it's a conspiracy theory that the government's weaponizing against its opponent. Well, just look at what they just did to Navarro. I mean, he lives 50 feet from the FBI and the DOJ, and they couldn't walk across the street. But they had to wait till he got to the airport to lock him up. I mean, that that's no longer a conspiracy theory. The CDC, who gave them the authority to stop rental payments, to kicking people out for not paying their, their rent? Who gave them that authority? And, and it didn't affect us so much, but these blue states were... It did affect all these people. Who who lost? The little mom and pops that saved their money and bought properties and were renting it out, and then they lost their mortgages on their property, and BlackRock comes in and buys all those properties, and it's over a hundred to 200,000 properties. BlackRock just goes in and buys them all up. So when they say, you're 10 years, you, you will own nothing and like it, they say, oh, that's a conspiracy theory. Well, that's a fruition of this conspiracy theory. You know, they keep talking about Biden's polls. Biden's polls are lower than Donald Trump, but that's in spite of the fact that Donald Trump was constantly pounded on by the media every day, and Biden is constantly propped up by the media. So those polls are very misleading. The, the American people. I, I hope we're waking up because if this WHO and all that, it can all be conspiracy theory, but they keep proving these conspiracy theories right. Y'all have a good one. Thank you, Joe. The only conspiracy theory today is to believe there's no conspiracy. I mean, I'm convinced of that. You know, uh, I saw the shirt at the beach and we touched on that. I need a new conspiracy theory t-shirt because all the old ones came true. The only conspiracy theory today is to believe government is not conspiring. Government is absolutely conspiring. Government is weaponizing itself against those who threaten the enormous power and influence they have historically, traditionally had, unchecked, unfettered. You don't mess with the FBI. You don't mess with the CIA. Well, it's just very interesting to me how many people associated with Trump end up in handcuffs. I mean, is Trump the only the, the only candidate that's ever gone to Washington that, that brought along some shenanigans with him? Of course not. I mean, politics is full of that sort of thing and those sorts of people. I've never seen anybody shackled and handcuffed until Trump gets to town. And then it's kind of a normal, I mean, Roger Stone's asleep in his bed and men show up with machine guns. Uh, Peter Navarro's on his way to do a, I think, a, a, a Mike Huckabee bit on his TV show. And he's, you know, confronted at the airport, uh, put in leg shackles or, you know, ankle shackles and, and handcuffs. The absurdity of that. I mean, that should, I mean, it really should, I mean, in all honesty, it should make you scared to death, but make you angry as can be. And I mean, you know, we, we've got to be, I don't know, angry and afraid. 
what happens to the country when the majority of its people become angry and afraid. But, but Joe's right. I mean, these aren't conspiracy theories any longer. These are realities that, that Americans are confronting every single day. Is Donald Trump the most corrupt politician in American history? No, of course he isn't. How many other corrupt politicians have ended up in handcuffs and chains and had their door kicked down at 3 o'clock in the morning? Guys, this is not about conservative liberal. This is not about um, socialism or, or independence. This is about government. The, the inside, uh, what I call the soft side of the underbelly of American government and its self-preservation, its willingness to do whatever it takes to make sure they continue to control, dominate, whatever gets said, whatever uh, is allowed to be done. Take a break. Back in a minute. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. Someone's on the phone. Let's go there. Danny in Camden. Hey, Danny, you're on the air. Yeah, that, uh, I, I really just kind of a question, man. I, everybody's talking about the conspiracies and all that's going on, and they're—I mean—and and they're not theories no more. We understand that. Second Amendment says the rights of a free state to bear arms for a militia. What does that look like if you try to do away with a tyrannical government, which I feel like we have? Man, if you play this thing out to the end, you'll freak yourself out, Danny. Thank you for the call. Appreciate it. I mean, I've tried to do that. I've tried to play it out to the end. Um, let, let's, let's say that I'm right, and the only conspiracy theory is there is no conspiracy, um, and the government is genuinely conspiring against people who threaten their power and influence. I mean, just kind of play that out. I mean, everybody ends up in a different place. None are good. I mean, there, there's none good. I mean, you asked a second ago, is income inequality a part? Yeah. I mean, all of this is a part of it. When And the encouraging part of this, and I guess this is the most encouraging, and I'm spinning things to some degree, but when I read the Gallup Economic Confidence Index, and it's as low as it's ever been, and the biggest contributor is not um, health care or the situation in Russia or unifying the country or abortion or race relations or immigration or the economy in general or the high cost of living, inflation, um, the number one contributor is the government, poor leadership. Um, that just that kind of suggests to me that Americans are indeed beginning to understand that government's not your friend, hadn't been your friend in a long, long, long time unless you've written checks. I mean, unless you paid for government favor, unless you purchased your right to be in the room when these big decisions are made. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think if you're an average American, the government is absolutely conspiring against you and your best interests. And that's what led me to this book. And I want to touch on this a little bit. The Trap by Sir James Goldsmith, um, it, it kind of sort of hits on the subject we've discussed many times over the air. But one of the uh, best quotes in the book, and I actually made a, a note to myself, um, he says when writing the book, one of the defects of modern culture is that we are taught to believe every problem can be measured in economic terms, but when society's principal tool is measurement, rather rather than understanding, great mistakes follow. Um, let's do this. It's about eight or nine minutes long, but this is a 1994 interview about the book The Trap with Peter. Uh, what's Peter? Frost. Peter Frost. Um, he's another one of these guys who got caught up in the, he's a liberal, got caught up in the Me Too movement. Imagine that. But anyway, let's go to this interview, 1994. The neighborly problems that you have to solve between, between the three nations. But it's nothing. It's like Portugal and Greece was for us in Europe. 
what we're talking about in sentence forget we're talking about a free trade area with China with India with Vietnam with Indonesia with four billion people you see when GATT this last round this is the eighth round of GATT started eight or nine years ago the negotiations the Uruguay round when it started the world was a completely different place since then you've had four billion people who before were set aside if you like by held held away from us by communism by other ideologies and they've all of a sudden joined the free market fine that's fine secondly those people have got massive unemployment they have very fast-growing populations they work for almost nothing compared to our populations. I mean, you can employ 47 people in Vietnam and the Philippines for one American. But that's what they said about NAFTA, too. Well, well yes, because you're talking about 4 billion people. Right. You're not talking about 80, 80 million people. And quite apart from that, the idea that you can judge the results of NAFTA so far, in my view, is a bit naive because it's only been a few months. So let's wait in five years and see what's happening. But first, let's talk about GATT. 4 billion people. You can employ them. Mexico's expensive labor compared to the other places. Now, what are the other changes that have taken place since the Uruguay round started? Technology can be transferred anywhere in the world. Capital can be transferred instantaneously wherever the return is highest. So, today, you are to take two companies, two corporations. They make the same product to be sold in the same market because the whole concept of global free trade is you can make a product anywhere and sell it anywhere. They have access to the same technology. They have access to the same capital. They only have one difference. Cost of labor. 47 to 1. So they move. Now what has been the result? We've, we've got some results. Some results are in. It isn't hypothesis. You take France. Uh, in Europe we had uh, free trade started to emerge from 1973 onwards. That's when the Treaty of Rome was changed. During that 20-year period since then, the economy in France has grown by 80%. The number of unemployed has gone from 420,000 to 5.1 million. That's equivalent to 25 million in the States. Now, what is the good of having an economy that grows by 80% if your unemployment, the people excluded from active economic life, goes from 420,000 to 5.1 million? You take Britain, same story, by the way. All right, let me make one other argument, though, mm -hmm. that when you say these people in, for example, the People's Republic of China mm -hmm. and India, four million people. Four billion, yeah. Four billion, I'm sorry. The argument is also made that they, all of a sudden, not only is there a question of the price of their labor, but it is a huge buying power that they have, that China, in the year, the new millennium, will be the world's fastest growing economy. That's great. And it'll be a market. That's wonderful. And those people will be buying products. That's wonderful. From the industrialized world. And let's benefit from that. And we can work together. But how do you benefit from that without destroying ourselves? You go and you create a corporation in China. And you build a factory in China. And what do you want to sell? Mugs? Sell mugs in China. And you conquer part of the Chinese market by competing their fan square in China. That's life. That's adding to the activity of China. You're a corporate citizen over there. You're working over there. But if you move a factory from the States and take that to China, not so as to conquer the Chinese market, but so as to re-import the goods into the States, mm -hmm. so as to get cheap labor, what are you doing? What you are doing is you are saying to your employees here, 
You're too expensive, folks. You want money, you want protection, you want unions, you want holidays. Forget it. We can employ 47 people over there who want nothing. So don't confuse two issues. One is going out to participate in their growing economies by building there and conquering part of the market. The other is merely killing off employment in your own country, getting rid of your own labor force, transferring it over there and importing it back purely so as to increase your profit margins. Now, the average company has about 25% of its costs in labor costs, including the social costs and welfare yeah. costs around it, 25%. When you move, you can say 25% of volume, that is, you all of a sudden can save over 20%. So your profits go leaping up, but you're destroying, destroy, totally destroying, um, you, not only the number of people who've got jobs, but also their salaries. Now, you realize that salaries in the States, earnings, weekly earnings, hourly earnings, over the last 20 years, have already dropped about 19% in real dollars. It's already been a massive decline, and that is why the so-called recovery, which is a recovery of economic indices, hasn't got the feel-good factor because people's salaries have gone down. But they're going to go down much more. It's only beginning, and the reason is very straightforward. When you manufacture something, anything, this right, table, right. you have a value added. The value added is when you take the raw materials and you manufacture a product. Mm -hmm. The value you add is known as value added, and that is shared between capital and labor. And the whole division, the sharing of that, has been the subject of massive debates for generations. How much should go to capital? How much should go to labor? You've had strikes, you've had lockouts, you've had political debates. All of a sudden, by creating a global marketplace for labor, by creating circumstances where people are making the same product with the same technology and the same capital, and the only variant is cost of labor, you are shattering that, shattering the way you share the value added. And that means that you are destroying the basis on which we've been able to create an equilibrium and have a stable society. And, okay, but you, let me just take this argument. This is the same thing we've heard about protectionism every time it comes up in the American Congress, is it not? Same arguments are made. No. Not? No, absolutely not. I am entirely for free enterprise. I am for free markets. I, be I'm not, I believe that you I'm have... I'm waiting for the but. Oh, I'm giving you the but. <laughs> I'm not for the destruction of one's society. Can you explain what is the purpose of an economy in your view? Would, I know this is a point that you feel very strongly about. It has many purposes, in fact, to play a role in a society in terms of creating jobs, in terms of playing a positive force, in terms of giving people an opportunity to, to uh, serve, to uh, take care of their family, giving people an opportunity in other words, to the participate in their society. In other words, the economy is there to serve the fundamental needs of society. Yes. Which are prosperity. Yes. Which are stability. Yes. And which are contentment. Do you agree with that or not? That is the basis. I'm, that's the basis of my thinking. Right. And what I'm saying at this stage is that if purely for an economic doctrine, you have a situation whereby the economy grows, but you create poverty, unemployment and you destabilize the society you're in trouble look what's happened in the last 50 years you see people so you're a smart man red what do you make of that i mean that's 1994 that that is a um, obviously a 
uh, a guy who's made a lot of money in business and Peter uh, Frost is trying to be a little bit coy and lover of women and all these other sorts of things. It's almost like he was a, a more reverent Trump uh, and they're talking about Ross Perot. But what do you make of what you just heard? He, and he was very quiet and soft-spoken mm-hmm. when he said it. So you really had to listen. A little bit cerebral. To the words. I mean, some of his delivery was a little bit um academic, I might add. Well, uh, I think, and this was 1994. 1994. I think he, he predicted. He predicted the uh, the societal effects. Is I, destabilize an overstatement or is that accurate? Uh, yeah. And when you look at what's happened in the last 25 to 30 years, uh, the Fed, the stock market, the recessions, the crashes, the the growth, I don't know that uh, destabilizing is uh, is an is overstating no, it at all. But but and what he's arguing is, but, but the basis of of this growth is when we've when we kind of take the the labor market and do what we've done to the labor market and the working people and their ability to to have good paying jobs or decent paying jobs and the ability to to grow over the course of time or whatever and and acquire and and live um certainly that's a destabilizing force and they do it by not adding anything to the economy you you extract from the economy i mean what what you basically do is say you say the only contribution the economy makes to society is economic I mean, there is no societal goodwill. There is no um, a common good. There is no, uh, and, and I think at the very end of the interview, he got very explicit about, you know, what he believes. And, and I think the word destabilize is exactly right. And, and I've argued that what we've done basically is um, we've prostituted labor. We've allowed um, countries that have no human rights. They have uh, their, their communist regimes. They abuse and take advantage of their people, and we've been part and parcel in the name of corporate um, interests, in the name of making an extra buck, making a little more money. And I think the point he tried to raise is— And not in the name of going and competing in another market where there's a billion more customers, say, in China. It's in the name of expanding your profit margin here at the expense of your former labor force, right? So so if you've got a 1,000 jobs in Janesville, Ohio— uh, and you choose to move that plant to Beijing, China, and the company becomes enormously profitable, and the shareholders are rewarded um, handsomely because of the the move the company made. Um, it it still has a destabilizing effect on on our economy, and I think that really encompasses and embodies what America First is. And I was thinking about you know the debate we've had: Are you willing to pay five bucks more for a polo shirt? Ten bucks more? For a polo shirt, if they're made in Ohio, if they're made in Indiana, if they're made in North Carolina, made in South Carolina, as opposed to Beijing. And I think the great um, travesty in all this was the the articulating of the argument that this kind of free and fair trade. You know, the, um, yeah, we're going to lose some jobs, but we'll be reciprocated by service economies and other facets of, of innovation. And it just hasn't happened. And it's all done in the name of corporate profit. Now, once again, what did government have to do with this? I mean, corporations are going to chase profit, right? Well, I mean, corporations have made American expensive place, excuse me, government has made American expensive place to do business. Um, here, here's a conspiracy theory. You ready? Have they done it intentionally? I mean, was it to give businesses and corporations an excuse to go offshore? In other words, if you can work 47 people in Vietnam for the cost of one American, 
do you want, I mean, if you knew that, if you knew that uh, uh, the shirt you bought today was made in uh, in Vietnam by the equivalent of 47 to 1, would you still want to purchase that shirt? Do we have some obligation to the common good? Is there some cultural and societal responsibility we have one to another? That's what America First means to me. I mean, I don't think uh, the gentleman believes he's an America first because he hasn't coined the phrase America first. That's what America first means to me. I'm, I'm tired of letting Chinese make things that we buy a little bit cheaper at Walmart when, when we've ravished and savaged our economy of all the, I don't know, the human capital that contributed so enormously to the better day. Are we better off today with, with, um, with 70% of society going to Walmart buying whatever it is they need to buy because it's made in China, or are we better off when vibrant businesses on every street corner owned by you know young entrepreneurs, old families, and uh, it's just it's it's a it's a it's a paradigm shift that that I think has led to a political revolution that I believe will define the next thirty years of the Republican Party. Uh, we're going to delve into this a little bit more extensively tomorrow morning. Back in a minute. 